Doing good this morning? Ooh. You did get the lights on. We're going to definitely try to do this later. <laughs> Serious. And if not, then do it on your own before the, the Lord. No, we're going to try. We're going to try. And there's a reason. <laughs> Why do you guys think everything I say is funny anymore? <laughs> huh? Let's say I'm wrapping up and you laugh. I say, let's go to the scripture and you laugh. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what's going on, man. So, good deal. Y'all doing good? Seems like a long time since we had school. Uh, David was here Thursday, so we, you know, I wasn't up here at all since Wednesday. It just feels like a long time. It's almost a week, so it's good to see y'all. It's good to be back. And, uh, wow. Let's just open up. Let's open our hearts and pray. I have something uh, I really want you to open your heart this morning. It's been stirring in my heart. It's probably got triggered just when David was here, just just certain convictions and things that I preach a lot, but I'm going to pull it all together and really lay a foundation of something today, okay? It's it's going to be sobering. It's going to protect you if we'll yield to it, and then we'll take communion in the light of that truth, okay? Because remember how I said communion is like a real simple definition of covenant is all that is mine is yours and all that is yours is mine. So what did Jesus hold back when he gave himself? Like extremely nothing, right? Like extremely nothing, because people didn't even appreciate his good, guys. Like people, people misread him constantly. Do you understand that? Do you realize how secure you have to be to be misread all the time and stay the same? Do you understand what I'm saying? Do you understand how much he knew who he was to encounter what he did and still reach the finish line of why he came that impresses me I don't know about you I mean look we'd go to church we'd sing great songs but that impresses me (laughs) I won't be impressed I want to take this thing so serious that it does what it's intended to do transform my life amen fine tune my eye get me to live in all the right places and from all the right places make sense so we're going to talk about some stuff so let's just pray because I, I, I want to, I'm just going to believe that grace I want to really pour out my heart here on a topic and just believe that grace is going to just poof and cause it to sit in all of our hearts okay Father we just thank you for this morning we thank you for your word just asking that it just comes out the way you would preach what's on my heart if you were standing here Really asking that grace, Lord, that if you were standing right here, that it would just come out, that the scriptures just flow, that they come to mind. And, and Lord God, that anything in, in, in your word that just helps connect the dots of the message that just keeps stirring in my heart would, would just come so that this thing could be clear, received, and that we can become. Father, we really want to become what you created us to be and what you paid for through Jesus Christ. That's why we're in this school. I don't think we're not, not serious if we're in this school. I thank you that there's the grace on us this morning and that you're doing a wonderful thing. You're doing a great work in us and we just thank you for it. Protect us through the truth today. For the rest of our lives, I believe this truth can protect us and keep us thinking clear and living strong. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Amen. Okay. God, you're good. Okay. Thank you, Lord. I really do want to try to, if we're getting 
we'll see. You'll know how it's going here today, but I really do feel like somebody trying to like really press me to do this before we go together, okay? The communion, because I don't, I, I really am not sure how that'll go. Like by 11.30. If, if it's around 11.30 and I haven't mentioned anything about communion, somebody throw it at me or wave it or something. <laughs> Get my attention. It just seems like we ought to do it before we leave, just corporately. Amen? Amen. Uh, and, and, uh, and if you throw it at me and at that time I feel like, you know, maybe we ought to just do it personally, we'll know by, we'll know by then. Okay. Let's go, let's go to Colossians real quick. No, serious, real quick, Brent. There you go. I'm not laughing about that. I've been in Colossians all Oh, you have? Is that why? Good, good. That's awesome. God, I worship you. Okay. There's a scripture kind of like this in Peter. It's, it says he's uh, delivered us. He's, uh, ah, let me just read this one. He has delivered us from the, verse 13, I'm sorry. Colossians 1, verse 13. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love. There's another one that says in his marvelous what? Light. He's entered us in, he's delivered us into his, or translated us into his marvelous light. He says you're a holy nation, right? It's a royal priesthood. It indicates that there's drastic change in your life. Okay? Now, once you flow with me, you're going to make sense where we're going here. It means you were under the power of darkness. Let's just be real. We, we know that technically, but I want you to really think about what this is saying. The gospel, God through the gospel, through the finished work of Jesus has delivered us from the power of darkness, conveyed us, right? Uh, transferred. That's from one into the other, right? Transferred us where? Into the kingdom. And I love how he phrases this. Of the son of his love so so we went from darkness and under the power of darkness to the kingdom of the son of his love so the son is the revelation and manifestation of God's love that's that's conveyed there right and you can find that in a lot of scriptures for God so loved the world in this love was revealed this is amazing to me we were Belonging to something, and I know this is going to sound basic for a while, but you're going to understand where we're going here in a minute, so bear with me. I'm just being real foundational on purpose. We belong to something, and now we were lifted up and out of that, separated from that, and we belong now to something else. Okay? Unfortunately, what we don't make... The transition is, is, is what that really means now for us. Because you know the gospel says we deny ourselves, we died, we've been bought with a price, we're not our own. It's, there's a lot of language like that in the gospel. That's in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, by the way, and we can look at that maybe. But think about the language. You've been bought with a price, 
You're not your own. You've been called out of darkness, delivered from darkness. Well, that's what Peter says. You're called out of darkness into the marvelous light. Here it says you're delivered from darkness, transferred or conveyed into the kingdom of the Son of His love. So there's a great change that has taken place. Sanctified means set apart with a purpose, set apart with a holy calling when it's concerning God's sanctification. You're in the world, but you're not... Do you hear all the language, these scriptures I'm quoting, how much it defines that and wants you to realize that? Who would agree that most of the preaching we've heard, most of our lives, pertain to the gospel or the love of God or the goodness of God for us and towards us with the connotation of for our sake? Who would agree? Come on, there's something that we want to shift here today. I know it. I can really feel intense in my heart right now. It's kind of getting that way like it did last week. It's starting to get there. It's going to have fun again. But who knows that the connotation of our faith has been God for us? That's been conveyed almost at large since the time I can remember. Now, I know we're supposed to live good and live right. I had that as a little child. Shouldn't do this, should do that. I had that idea, which I don't preach that. I don't, it's not a do this, don't do that gospel. When you understand, that just falls in line. We covered a lot of that in this school so far. But the reason that we're addressing this this morning is because there's a lot of there's disappointment discouragement, despair. We've allowed them to be normal based on our circumstances. And of course I feel that way because, well, how would you feel if you've been through this? Of course. And a lot of where that's coming from is because we don't understand this big picture and what we've really become and who we are in the middle of it. There's a lot of terms about warfare. Go to Ephesians chapter 6. You guys know this scripture. I just want to look at something. If we don't make the shift, see, it's not God for us. In, in 1 Corinthians, or 2 Corinthians, I think, 8. Maybe it's 1 Corinthians 8. It's, it's, it's one or the other. It's, it, it says that, that, that God is one, that there's only one God, that he, the Lord our God is he's one. That's the old phrase from the Israelites and the, and the, and the old covenant. But it says, and First uh, Corinthians 8, and it says, and we, let's just look at it. I have to look at it. I'm sorry. I'm trying to cut corners here and, and just preach out some scriptures, but I think we need to actually look at some of this stuff. Yeah, I'm, I'm there. Thank you so much. It says, verse 5, For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as there are many gods and many lords, small g, small l. Okay, you can make a god out of anything. All right? <laughs> so, now watch this. Yet for us, yet for us. Do you hear the distinction? 
Come on, this is universal like everybody in the body of Christ. This is yet for us. Do you hear the hole in that? It's really cool. This means that we all are to understand this. Everybody's, we got to grab this, right? Yet for us, he's talking to everybody, there is one God. Now, we would all agree with that. The Father of whom are all things, and look, and we for him. That doesn't just mean we're, we're backing him, we're cheering him on. That means we're for him. We're, remember, we're to God, the fragrance of Christ. We're the body of Christ. We're the revealing of Christ to the earth. We're actually the manifestation of God and his glory when we're walking in Christ. And that is not blasphemous and you didn't grow up, most of you didn't grow up being taught that. If you were even thinking that, you were probably considered in sin and blasphemous. <laughs> Honest? Come on. Who grew up with, this is Jesus, this is us? I mean, even after you're a Christian. Is that true? Okay. Do you see that scripturally? Or are we one in Him and He is in us and He is the hope of glory and He's not ashamed to call His brother and He's the firstborn among many and... Yay! So there's this real yay about it. It's a, it's a connection now. We're, we're one. God sees, God sees us for who Christ is. That's His vision. That's why He redeemed us, to get us back to the place of sonship and filled with the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead. There's been a difficulty, though, with our, pers- our mindset in this. There's almost been a foundational view that it's just... It's all about, still all about us and our individual respective life and how it's going and how it's not and circumstances and even my health. And even though those things are so influential and they're real, there's a view and a perspective that maintains a victory, a sense of strength in conscience, an enduring heart that continues to walk through by faith, therefore to receive grace. Because once faith is subverted, subverted, that's trouble. When you, when you have a sickness in your body, and you have every scripture that tells you healing and promise and things, and you feel like you're doing all that, who's ever been there? And yet the sickness is still there, or everybody's prayed for you and it's still there. Who knows that you better have a clear perspective of who you are and why and who he is, and maybe that's when faith really matters. We're thinking faith is to get somebody healed, or faith is to receive healing. Sometimes the greatest use of faith is when you don't understand and nothing makes sense. If you don't have a right perspective on why you're a Christian and who you are as a Christian, you're going to slowly have the right to take that scenario personal, be hurt by it, ask a lot of questions that are not to be asked, and get yourself confused and reveal to not even your own soul because you think it's right, but to definitely to the, to the spirit realm. If, if, you know how we quickly say, well, that's just an attack. Well, that's just an attack. Well, if that's true and there's somebody behind that attack and we start letting that somebody know that, that we are vulnerable, that if you keep doing this in this direction, you've about got me. People say, I can't take anymore. Well, if one more thing goes wrong, I'm finished. And we talk like that in life. 
We talk like that to friends and family and people and we talk like that and we're letting whatever's going on as far as adversity towards our life know that whatever they're doing is really working and getting under your skin and if they just punch you another time or two, they're probably going to win. So you're actually, you're actually cheering on something without realizing it because of a wrong perspective on your life. You have to understand that you and I, there's, there's one God and we're for Him and one Lord Jesus Christ through whom are all things and through whom we live. Once we become a Christian, you can go back to Ephesians now, I want you to see this. Once we become a Christian, and I, I really, man, I don't re-preach things, but things get in my heart and I end up it's just they're there. Once they're, when they're there, I have to continue to convey them. But this thing come pouring out of me Saturday. I was in Ohio. I should have just got to see the DVD and just played the thing and stayed home this morning. It was powerful. It was like I got born again again like three times while I was preaching. It just got locked in and rooted. And, but I realized that there's a consistency in my own life, in my own heart. As I was preaching, I realized there's a consistency in my life that, that through this view that's made me, even though I've been touched by lots of adversity, trials and tests, like we all will be, they've had no voice. And see, I know that standing here, I can say that, but they've had no voice. They've had no impact, no power. Because of one view, I'm not my own. I'm not my own. I represent Him. So I can't take this stuff personal. If, if it's just about you being pummeled or being attacked or being pressed, we have taken faith and taught it and taught it and taught it and taught it. But we've taught it in the view that we're applying it for our own sake. And we're using our faith for a better life, to secure a better life, to get through trouble. Are you following me? And when it doesn't seem like it's working, you take it personal, get introspective, and you question yourself. What am I doing? Where's God? All that stuff comes out of a view that you're applying all this stuff for your own well-being. Your and my life are to reveal Christ every day. No matter how hard you're being squeezed, no matter how much you don't understand, integrity is always a given in the kingdom. Standing firm is always a given. Loyalty to Him is always a given. Commitment to the cause is always a given unless we don't understand the cause. And sometimes I think we've painted this picture and got this idea that God's just sitting there to bless our day. Come on, we've got that impression at large. We've taught it that way. We've taught messages that way. It keeps people coming to church, (laughs) gets people in. But it causes a lot of confusion, a lot of pain. Who's ever bumped into people very discouraged? Who's ever been discouraged yourself? Who saw people very disappointed in the gospel and questions and more questions than answers? And all of a sudden this seems to look like the normal Christian life. There's a commitment you make. This thing stirred in me. I, I, I said, I've got to 
God, I didn't realize it. I wasn't even premeditating it Saturday night. I just said this week when, 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 when Brother David was here and I'm thinking of him losing friends to the gospel, burying 30-some people over the 30 years that were right-hand people and still having smile in his heart. And I'm thinking, man, I understand the principle. I've preached it and lived it for years. I haven't been tested at the level he is, not even close. But it's good to see a model of that, to know that there's an eye that can look in such a way to receive such a grace, even though you feel it, even though there's loss, even though it hurts. You're alive. And not just alive, watch this. All the more motivated to move forward and win. But because our eye doesn't look like that, when those things happen, it crushes us. Because we don't have that same view. Your perspective is huge. Why you're in this thing is huge. We have to settle why we're in this thing. Do we just want to see miracles? Are we just excited about the supernatural? Are we just hoping one day we can walk through a wall? Are we trying to grow spiritually so we could just walk across water and not take the boat? I don't know what we're doing sometimes. But when life gets in your face and life gets real, we better know who we are and why. Not just who we are, but who we are and why. Because the why behind who you are is where you'll find the grace. Are you following me? So here's what I'm saying. We aren't just in an Ephesians war with the devil, okay? Let's read this. Finally, brethren, verse 10. Ephesians 6. Finally, brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of whose might? His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Why? Well, let's just read. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. So, so we know and preach all the time that people aren't our problem. We're not fighting against people. It's not people. It's a spirit that's working through people. It's a, it's a spirit behind the scenes that has access, people give themselves to, that are vulnerable to. It's a spirit working through flesh and blood, right? But when you see we're not fighting against flesh and blood, I want you to see yourself in there too. It's not about your flesh and blood either. It's not just about you in the natural. It's this, we're not, it's not just, we're not just incorporating the gospel into our lives to make it. The gospel causes us to be the children of God, the example of Christ, the representation of Christ. Watch this. The power of God, the authority of the name of Jesus, all that we receive when we get born again, if we really understand. I'm I'm sure, I don't talk this a lot, but I'm sure that we haven't stewarded that authority and that power in the level that we can to a big degree because we don't understand why we have it. We have it to, to... to war against a kingdom called darkness. So here's what it's saying. You're in a demonic war against the kingdom. It's not against you. It's not flesh and blood. We're in a demonic war against the kingdom. It's a demonic war against Jesus and Jesus is in you. It's a demonic war against the kingdom and the kingdom's in 
you. So you get the great privilege of being pulled out of the enemy of God, the camp of the enemy of God, what's adverse to the kingdom. You, you have the great privilege through the blood of Jesus to be snatched out of darkness, conveyed out of darkness, translated into the kingdom of, 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 of the, the, the Son of God and His love. And what? Now everything's changed. Now we turn and we're in a whole different fight. Before, you didn't even realize this. Everything you were saying and doing was contrary to truth, fighting against the kingdom and the very God that created you, and you didn't even know it. You understand? Every assault, every blasphemy, every gossip, everything of anger, everything of vengeance, we think is against people. It's against the call of God, your destiny, your legacy. It's a spiritual picture. Because it all goes back to the beginning. You were made in God's image for a purpose. You were made in God's image for a reason, to reveal the glory of God. That you you could manifest who God is through your life because He said so, because He made us that way. What happened in the beginning in Genesis in that picture? Spiritually speaking, the enemy of God came to what was made in the similitude of God, deceived, Adam followed Eve, and all that was lost, and they became captured and subservient to that very lie. Jesus came and bought us back. This is simple, it's just nutshell on it. You guys know the gospel by now, right? But, but, but Jesus came and bought us back. But it's right back to the beginning now. But it's that same war. It's that when Adam fell and Satan, you know, I understand that that the earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof. But there is a list here. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, against principalities, it's against powers, rulers and darkness of this age, spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Don't be scared of that. It's just a, it's a ranking. People don't think they exist, but they do. You have to understand that when Adam ate the tree, he was given the authority to subdue the earth. Understood? When he ate the tree, he gave that up. He died concerning the connectivity with God. The day you eat the trees, the day you die. Boom, died. Now watch. So all of a sudden, God made man in his image, and now he follows Satan, the man that's in his image. Satan wants that authority. He wants that dominion. He said in Luke to Jesus, he said, bow and worship me, and I'll give you the glory. All these kingdoms and their glory, for they've all been handed over to me. I'll give them to whoever I wish bow and worship me and I'll give you this stuff because it's all mine. You have to understand that when Adam ate the tree, these demonic realms right here and rulers, they set up kingdoms all over the earth and regions to defend against the kingdom of God. You understand? They're real. To, To defend against the kingdom of God. Not to pick on you. Come on, you got to get this. I'm not being smart right now. They're not here to pick on you. That's how, that's the trap we fall into when we go into, get into trials. We feel like who's picking on me? Why am I picking on me? 
They're not picking on you. They're trying to quench and crush the kingdom and get you discouraged because you're the only one that has the authority to carry it. They're not fighting you. They're trying to kill and stop the kingdom. Look, they cannot get to God. They are not going to form an army and walk into heaven. They will get thumped. The Bible says they hear God's name. And they're trembling. They're done. They are not just going to get some plan and all rally their troops and try to sneak attack and take out Michael and Gabriel. And now they maybe can make a bad push for the throne. We've watched too many movies. I mean, we, I don't know what. Look, they're not going to stop God. But by now, and I got this in a vision a long time ago. By now, they're convinced they can stop God in us. Because they've been doing it for a long time. They've watched people sell out and take life personal and get mad at each other and disloyal. They've watched it. They whisper into Eve and they watch Eve eat the tree and then they watch Adam follow her instead of God. And they've been watching man nurture and feed the flesh ever since that. They've watched countless people be in all the right places, sing all the right things, say all the right stuff, and then do unthinkable things and have a sellout price in a place. They've watched it for generations. And they're convinced by this point that they can't stop God, but they can stop God in you and me. They're convinced that we don't understand. They're going to keep it foggy. They're going to have us either either some charismatic party or some bless me mentality. And if we're not getting blessed, then you know, we have some kind of right to be less than committed or something. I got this little vision once. I was praying and worshiping and I got this little picture. It was just a picture. And I don't know if you get this kind of stuff, but sometimes God will speak to me in detail. And sometimes I'll just get a big impression and it'll just all unfold in a moment. And I just kind of saw this, it all unfolded in a moment. But I, so I don't really, I can't say I have quotes that I heard, but I know what I saw. I saw, I saw the realm of darkness celebrating at the crucifixion of Jesus. Believing they won because when you kill, you win. Death's a finality, but he destroyed him who had the power over death. So ever since the beginning of time, Satan still kill and destroyed her. To kill is to win. Just to kill, kill, kill. Sin and death. Sin, die. Ha ha, sin, die. Sin, die. Got you now, die. So to kill the Son of God is to win. But in this one, to kill the Son of God is to totally, completely lose in a bigger magnitude than you can even imagine. And God plays His nature like a pawn. And in the wisdom of God, He pulls back and lets darkness have its way. Remember Jesus in the garden? It's your hour. It's the hour of darkness. Why would God permit darkness to have its hour? So that it would do all it knows to do. Steal, kill, destroy. Steal, kill, destroy. I got Him now. No restraint. God backs up, doesn't protect Jesus, just lets man 
consumed by darkness do what darkness does and it kills so blind so deceived that even the people that have been ministered to and healed and thought you'll find I, I you say well you're supposing this no there was a whole lot of folks there around Pilate that day and a lot of them were just common everyday people like you and I they weren't all Pharisees Pharisees went around the crowds and stirred them all up and with one voice they started yelling Barabbas you could stand one day and say, wow, this man has authority. Wow, he seems awesome. Wow, how'd he do that? And open the eyes of the blind. And the next minute be so engrossed with darkness that you're yelling for Barabbas to be released and telling them to crucify him. That's the picture that day's chaos. Why? Hour of darkness. Man, without the Holy Spirit, we will walk off a cliff into never, never land, man. Come on. Without the Spirit of God leading us like brute beasts, the Bible says, by sheer instinct, we'd walk into destruction without the grace of heaven. Man without God is a very desolate and lost being. (laughs) Why? Because he wasn't created to be without God. He wasn't created to be alone. (laughs) So when he is, it's a bad picture. So here's the picture I got. Hell celebrating and all of a sudden light just fills everything and that one Holy Spirit comes and raises Jesus from the dead and all of a sudden the devil realizes and all the scriptures come together and because who knows he knows the scriptures right big time better than probably we do Brent you're right and he tries to use them in certain ways and he's very he's just man he's twisted but here's the picture I got I pictured hell and all these demon hordes and Satan there in the middle like the boss man. That's just the picture I got. God relates to you the way you can relate. Doesn't mean that's the way it looks. It's the way it related to me and I understood the message. I saw all these demons just freaking out because they killed the Son of God and now there's going to be many sons. He opened the door for redemption and righteousness. They couldn't stop God's power from raising him from the dead, from Jesus raising up. One Holy Spirit just takes him and lifts him up from the dead and nobody could do nothing about it. I like that. And I saw them yelling at each other and arguing and fighting and screaming and like turning on the boss man. You got the picture? You know, we're finished now. What, we made the biggest mistake. We killed him. Oh my God, we can't stop God. We're defeated. We can't stop God. And I saw this pandemonium and chaos, arguing and strife. You can imagine what it must be like if you put a bunch of devils in a room. <laughs> you just give him a little place in people and put them all together. It can get pretty ugly. <laughs> so just imagine straight up devils in a room. That's a pretty nasty day. So I saw this. I saw chaos and frustration and anger. And all of a sudden, this look came on who in the vision I knew was Satan himself. And it's funny how I saw it because he was taller and bigger than all of them. And you could tell he was the leader. But this look, it was almost a shrewd look. You know what I'm saying? And it was a, it was a relief look and sinister. And I remember him because I saw this. And I remember him saying, no, stop, quiet. Quiet, no, it's not that bad. It's not a problem. It's not really a problem. And everybody got quiet and listened to their boss man. And he said, listen, guys, what are we freaking out about? What are we having a fit over? So we killed the Son of God and God raised him from the dead. 
I understand what that could mean and what that could possibly, but listen, we can't stop God, but we know we can stop them. We have from the beginning. Remember Eve? Ha, 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 ha. That's how the vision went. Remember Adam? Ha, ha. And ever since it's been that way, guys, why are we fighting amongst ourselves? Because we killed the Son of God? Come on. We know what we've accomplished here and what's been happened here, but we can stop it. Let's just keep them selfish. Come on, we can get them trapped in religion, fighting over doctrine. We'll just get them to build camps and rivers and streams and get all divided and split up. We'll just make it all about them. We'll just get it to be all about them. Oh, we'll have them so frustrated, confused, religious, set against one another, but 2,000 years from now, it'll just be an Easter story, no big deal. The power of what we accomplished by killing him will be swept away. That's the kind of vision I had. You know what? In most cases, it's right, that vision. Because we don't understand. And it's been about us. That's why we could fight. That's why we could have disagreements. That's why we could separate and, and, and have anger and frustration. Because we don't understand. It's a serious vision. Satan rises in pride and says, I will be God and I will sit in the highest place and I will be God. Who knows that that's in your Bible? And then God goes, what? Should have never said that. <laughs> to the earth. Serious. But his decree still stands. He's, he's believing he can sit in the high. What's the highest place of Jenny? Where's the highest place of Jenny? Right here, her soul, her mind. He's believing. He could set up camp in the throne. He's believing this. I'm not saying he's doing this. He's believing that he can do it with every one of us. She's just here and I'm using her as the example. He's believing he can set up camp right here and rule from the throne of her soul, even if she goes to church. He could care less if she goes to church. Going to church doesn't threaten her. In fact, I think sometimes he likes us going to church in certain settings and stuff because he loves to establish the stronghold of religion. And he loves people going through the motions and stuff, but he loves to keep this thing working like flesh. He loves to keep this thing working, thinking for itself and not getting the big picture. That's why the thoughts are relentless. That's why the, the old former ways of thinking come back all the time and things rise above the knowledge of God in your mind constantly to keep you from ever getting a revelation, understanding and finally being free and running clear. So what he believes is he'll sit in the highest place and actually be God. That's, his, that's what he's trying to fulfill because he can't stop God. That's what Ephesians is all about. That's what Paul's trying to write. He's saying, look, don't you be deceived. You're not in a war against flesh. This isn't about you. It's a demon war against the kingdom of God. We're going to look at a couple more scriptures, okay? I know I'm on a topic you might not have expected this morning, but I can't not get it. I just can't get away from it. Let me just read here. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but principalities, powers, rulers, darkness of this age, against hosts of wicked, wickedness, heavenly places. Therefore, because this is true, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to 
withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand. Does that sound like diligence? Does that sound like endurance? Does that sound like there's going to be trials and testings and opportunities to give up? Does it? It really does, doesn't it? So God's letting us know that we're in a war. It's a fight. But it's not flesh and blood. It's not against you. It's trying to stop the kingdom in you. How many of us, countless numbers, have taken adversity personal and sunk in our heart and even lost our heart towards God because we reveal that we're really for ourselves more than anything? What a statement when you're discouraged. And this isn't a slam. This isn't condemnation. It's just revealing. It's to get us sober so we don't make the same mistakes. True? It's not a judgment. I'm not even asking a show of hands. But how many of us have gotten so disappointed because of the way things are and aren't that it's even affected our love for God and it's affected our worship towards God and it's affected our growth in God? When that happens, it's sure and evident that the focus is on us and that we're in this for our sake and for how it can make us better circumstantially. The church at large doesn't understand that. We accommodate those feelings and responses and we say, wow, I know how you'd feel, man. If I'd been through that, I'd be the same way. And we call that being sensitive to one another. (laughs) So we never change our perspective then. We're just kind of hobbling through and trying to cheer each other on to the end, but we're all half dying if we're not careful. I mean, who's really truly blessed? Who's really understanding and full of joy? Who's really in love? You see what I mean? So you have to be very careful that it's not just a sentimental patch job that we do to one another without clear perspective. Because if you look at the language of the Bible, he wants you to be sober and vigilant and watchful and you're engaged in war and you're a soldier. It's all through your Bible. You're delivered from and translated in and to. There's, there's a distinction. It's you're part of something. I use this uh, illustration with Trish. We were talking because it was just in my, it's been in my heart. I've never been, who's been in the military at any level? She, and it was neat illustration because she totally understood it because she's in the military before. Who else? Let me see. There was a handful. It's because we've watched movies and we understand what I'm saying, you're going to get this. Watch this. So Anthony goes to war and he's in the army, Marines, wherever. Where do you want to be? You pick. <laughs> Army's fine. So Anthony's in the army and he's going to war. Is he in war for himself? He's in war for his nation. Come on, a soldier, we got to understand. You're in a battle, you're in a war. It's not just for your own well-being. It's not just for your own family and children. We get so fixed on our family and children, we get driven by family and children, and we think that's totally right. Well, it's right to a degree, but every other family and child has the same exact value to God in heaven as they do. You're fighting for a bigger cause than your household. If he goes to war, it's for who? It's for his nation. And watch this. He could be out on the field. He could be in front lines. I've just seen a few movies growing up to just get an idea. He could be laying in a trench for days. He doesn't like laying there. He'd rather not be laying there. It doesn't feel good to his flesh, but why is he there? Because he committed to fight for his nation, and that's what drives him. That's what keeps him there. 
because they're in a war for a bigger picture than himself. It's a greater honor than just fighting for you. You're fighting for, for everyone in, 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 in your nation, in every family, in every child, in every child to be. And you're, you're actually laying in that trench for a generation to come. We've got to get this in us through prayer and through the Word and understand that when you're laying in that trench for two weeks and there's not ample food, there's, the hygiene is terrible. You could complain about a thousand things, but somehow these guys are so committed because they're in a war, they're focused it's for a bigger picture than how they feel right now. You understand? The water's not ample. The food's not ample. You, you, you can't even hardly move. You can't, sometimes you can't even get up and move. You, can't, you just got to stay in a spot. For more than you would ever consider, but it's where you're at right now. You can't complain about that. You can't change that necessarily, but you can keep your heart focused on why you're there. Make sense? Because a soldier, he goes to war for a bigger reason than his own well-being. And the integrity in that and the honor in that. Is beyond description. That's what heaven's all about. That's, that's where legacy comes in. That's where true honor is. Don't you? What did Jesus do? He looked to the cross and for the joy what? Way bigger picture than him about to get beat beyond description. Come on, that's a stark enough picture. We'd have took a big step back. <laughs> you mean they're going to beat me and beat me till you can't tell who I am? And I'm still going to be alive? You're going to beat me till I'm so disfigured that you can't even recognize me, but I'm going to be alive? And then they're going to stick nails in me and hang me in the sun on the, on the, the wood? Come on. Come on, that was real. What an example. Follow me. Carry your cross. Do you get an idea what it might mean now? carry your cross come on when things don't make sense when you wish it was different when you're not feeling good and you know that there's promises to feel good and you're still not feeling good you've got to keep your heart good you've got to keep your perspective good you can't take it personal if for one minute you think God's failing or the word ain't working or I'm frustrated well I've been praying that for three weeks and it ain't done nothing yet you will be pummeled with that perspective and that's why so many people are because you're revealing that you're only in this for what you can get from it instead of who you become through it you're another soldier and you're fighting for a kingdom just the integrity of the gospel just doing good to your enemies it heaps coals upon their head you know people get martyred and people think what's the use of somebody getting martyred just think of the seeds that are sown the righteous blood the, the, you can study that out it's probably a real big deal when God allows martyrdom like that and sets it up it seems I heard a testimony of, of, of in Indonesia where they, they, they whacked off the arms of a 15-year-old boy and slid his belly open. And, and they did it progressively as they asked him to renounce Christ and worship Allah. And that 15-year-old boy stood there and said, I don't know if there is an Allah. All I know is I'm a soldier in the army of the Lord in Christ. And then they take his arm. But see, that sounds exciting like a great spiritual answer. But what about when they pull his arm out and go with a machete and there's the 15-year-old's arm in the sand 
I got the email from the youth worker that was standing there. Twenty youth workers and sixty kids. And she was one of them. And I got the email from her. And there he is, blood spewing. This is real. America and the American mind says, well, why would God let that happen to a 15-year-old boy? That's our fault. That's exactly what we think. Well, where's a loving God in that? And we are so full of opinion and attitude and don't even realize it. Our opinion means way too much to us. We value our opinion. And we'll be found as a very proud people if we don't change that. I'm not mad at you. I'm not telling you this. What I'm saying is at large. Because the reaction of our mind is, well, then why would God allow that? Well, how can I serve God if I don't even know if he could keep my 15-year-old? Away? You're telling me that if we get saved, my 15-year-old could get their arm chopped off for the kingdom? So we forget the bigger picture. For the joy set, you despise the shame and pain. You go through the gauntlet of whatever it costs because of the big picture reality that you can't even wrap your mind around forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. It makes a statement when there's a 15-year-old boy standing in front of the enemy, which is the, the spirit driving these men. And he is sure that he can get a 15-year-old to buckle his knee and bow and put fear in the rest of the teenagers and get the, the workers to be freaked out and, and renounce things. The, the enemy is just diligent to get people to be found as just sheer religion and word without form and so he does this, and a 15-year-old boy gasping for breath. I say, God, when I, when I read this, when I hear a testimony, I'm like, God, put that kind of integrity in me. Because yeah. he's standing there bleeding. He's 15. Come on, he should be in shock. He should be freaked out. He should be screaming. Those other kids should be like, Allah, Allah. <laughs> Think with me. Those other teenagers, man, come on. That's about her age. Man, somebody whack her arm off laying on the ground and she's with her peers and they're saying, worship Allah, renounce Jesus. She says, no, whack. Ah! Come on, that's what you think. He gasped for breath and they started mocking and laughing and said, where's your Jesus now? Do you hear the temptation? Do you hear the, do you hear the wisdom behind? Because it feeds natural wisdom. So where's your Jesus now? And we tend to think, yeah, where are you? Why aren't you protecting this boy? And they're mocking and laughing and saying, where's your Jesus now? Renounce him, son, why you still have a chance. Who knows he's already in and he has more than a chance. We all sing the songs and say we believe. But what do we really believe? Who knows that he's losing nothing? Who knows that that arm's temporal? He's losing nothing. He's, he's, he's fixed on this. This kid, he's 15. And he looked at him gasping for breath and said, I don't know if there is an Allah. I just know I'm a soldier in the army of the Lord in Christ. They pulled out the other arm and, and there it laid. And they're laughing and laughing and mocking. And one of them took the tip of the machete across his stomach and everything just opened up. And the worker typed it all out, exactly how it happened. He fell on his knees in the sand and he gasped for breath. And they're mocking him and said, why don't you renounce him? He said, I don't know if there is an Allah, I just know. I'm a soldier in the army 
of the Lord, and he fell over and died. Remember how David shared a testimony about the pastor got shot and then the machine guns went shoot for the boy? He could have stopped them with the pastor. If you're a family member and you realize that, that could be issues. Especially when you start missing your husband and you forget what you're a part of. You forget why you're in this thing. And all of a sudden you're just another person with a reason to be personally hurt and you forget it's a demon war against the kingdom. And now all of a sudden you're just missing your husband and why did God, and why didn't God deliver him? Why didn't God save him? Come on, follow me. Do you know what it means when he says deny your... When you, when you agree with that, you can't think the way I just relayed when you really understand. Even if you feel that way, you rebound because of truth. Because the feeling's real. Who knows the missing is real? Who knows the lonely, the empty chair is real? Who knows the empty bed is real? So all the more reason to what? Dial in and what? Stay focused on who you are and what you're part of. Or we'll never run this race. So here's this boy. When that happened, see, God could have stopped that. Who believes God could have stopped that? Because here's what happened. That boy's little brother was standing right there in the circle. When they did this, it threw everybody over the edge. When everything fell out, the, the youth camp, the kids went frantic, screaming and running in circles and wailing and bawling. Because it was so gross. It was already bad. Everybody was probably more in shock. And then when they went to the extreme of opening this boy up, everybody lost it. Pandemonium broke out. And this little white being, shining white being, appeared and said, It's okay, take my hand. When his little brother took his hand, they were in a village five miles away, in the blink of an eye. All the other people running around, and the youth worker said it was as if we were blinded, or they were blinded to us. They're looking around as if we disappeared, but we were all there running frantically. I looked around and realized they can't see us. A whole bunch of kids frantically ran to the bay and swam across shark-infested waters where there's absolutely nobody goes in to swim. And they swam the whole way to the other side and, and ran up into another village. So if God blinded them from them and sent an angel to take the brother to another village, he could have stopped that. But if we don't understand, we're offended at God. Watch. We're letting a 15-year-old get tortured and die. If we could track him down right now and ask him to change his mind, <laughs> not a chance. <laughs> now you see where faith comes in? You've got to get close enough to God and alone with God to where that's not just a cool story, the end result, as far as coming back, not a chance, but that's real to you. It means loving not your own life unto isn't that how you overcome the evil one? Is that Revelations 12? Does it say that? You overcome through the what? It's 12 verse 10. You overcome through the blood of the Lamb, the word of your testimony, and love not your... So, so in that text, Satan's accusing them what? Day and night, day and night before their God. Day and night. Accusation. Day and night. That sounds pretty relentless. 
Who feels like they're in trial sometimes day and night? Who feels like your mind goes places you'd rather it not day and night? Who knows feelings try to rise up that aren't healthy day and night? Who, who knows that it's an ongoing thing? There's accusations against your life day and night. Who would agree? How do you overcome? Through the blood, which means we know God's for us and loves us. Through the word of our testimony, which established truth in our lives, so we know who we've become because of Him. But here's the key. Because we try the first two all the time as a method. The blood and the word, the blood and the word. In most circles, if it would be a hyped up atmosphere and service and the preacher would be up here and, 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 and he'd be... He was here, and he'd be doing his leg kicking. And he'd say, how, he'd say, how do we overcome? And most of the church would say, by the blood and the word of our testimony. And the band would take off and be, yeah! First two, quote the first two. Your whole life you've heard the first two quoted. We overcome through the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. Who's heard the first two quoted almost your whole Christian life? We quote out the first two, especially in a high moment. That's not an accident that that stuff happens and then it gets missed. The third and most important gets missed. Why? Because we just think it's the, the blood and the word, the blood and the word, the blood and the word. But what makes the blood and the word so powerful is because a man loves not his own life unto death. So what? So what's the accusation day and night? What's the accusal before God day and night on your behalf? That yes, you do love your life. Because the way to win is not. So the accusation is, yes, you do. I'll prove it. I'll hit you hard enough and you'll cry. I'll hit you hard enough and you'll bow to me. I'll hit you hard enough and you'll backslide. I'll hit you hard enough and you'll get mad at God. Because you don't understand. Your perspective is not clear. You're an American Christian. You're in the gospel for your own sake. I'll prove you love yourself. I'll prove it. Wham, 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 wham. That's the accusation. Yes, you do, Jenny. You do love your own life. Oh, you say you're a Christian and you say you're surrendered. Ha ha. You love yourself. That's the accusation. It's intense. If you don't understand that you're in a demonic war against the kingdom and the kingdom's in you, you'll think it's towards yourself. Are you following me? This is huge. Because I've pastored for a little bit and I see a lot of people in mindsets and hurt and pain that are allowed through what we're talking about this morning. You have a comment, question? A comment. Um, just Wait till the mic's there. There you go. Preach, girl. Stand up and let her rip. <laughs> no. Um, I was just going to like add, you kind of like added to the story um, or just kind of added to what I was thinking. I was reading... Um, the voice of the martyrs, you know, when they share different things, and they were saying, it was say, uh, the magazine was saying about um, how, you know, that that the enemy knows, you know, those that are against, the, you know, the Christians, the first thing they attack, and a lot, in most of those countries, um, over, you know, in Eastern Europe or whatever, um, and Asia, is they do, like, they take the, the body parts, and you just kind of, like, added to that, you know, that that, yeah, we love, you know, they're okay with that, but we're, you know, but they know that that's how to get them, you know, how to get to the, to the Christians. Do you really love your life or not? Right. You know, kind of what you were saying. Right. 
that's that's exactly what uh, I heard of one where a village got some people got saved and some people weren't happy so they took one of the Christians and cut them in four and it's culture stuff it's, it's statements and they took a quarter here and here and here and here and put a quarter of the man the Christian they cut up they put a quarter of his body on each corner of the village and then took his intestines and stretched him across the entranceway into the village as to say if you bring this gospel or if you believe this gospel this is what will happen to you and even more so it's intimidation it's it's unbelievable so our minds don't wrap around that because honestly I'm not being mean to us we've been very pampered and blessed people there, you, people go to a mission field, you go to a third world country, and just getting the, this country out of you could be a challenge. Not having the convenience and the privileges that we all have. It's, they can be, these things can be a blessing, but they can also spoil us, and all of a sudden we don't understand. You follow what I'm saying? So, so when... Can you bring that over here to John then? So Becky, thank you. So... Uh, when you have somebody doing that in a village and, and, and the missionaries of that village, guess what they said in response? They said, now we have to go in. Did you hear what the missionaries said? They said, now we have to go in. Because there's sheep there for one thing. And no father abandons their child if they're a father at all. There's sheep there, but we have to go in because if we don't go in, then we've backed up and the devil and we're drawing lines and the devil will just keep crossing and all of a sudden he'll push us out of everything that's God. Isn't that an amazing response? Now I don't know that we would do that. I, I would think that we'd say look it's pretty stirred up right now we need to back out and chill and let things cool down and we need to use wisdom brother because it's not safe and if we go in we're going to die. That's what the average board meeting would sound like. Serious. But we don't realize we're already dead. Like that 15-year-old boy, let's spiritually, come on. I understand, I understand uh, sentiment, I do. I understand mother, son, I understand sentiment, I understand that, and human empathy and emotion. But in reality, what did that 15-year-old boy lose that day? Because he actually gained legacy. More than so in spiritually, if we're really if what we're preaching isn't some wacko doctrine, and if it's true, if what we say we believe is really true, what did he lose that day? He gained like ridiculously, incredibly beyond measure, right? And look at the impact it has on the enemy. The people that seem to be the enemy, look at the impact it has on them. Come on, that a young boy could, don't think that that stuff doesn't work into the persecutors even at times. And start to break down some things. Here's what happened in that story, by the way. The government got a hold of, or the jurisdiction over that area got a hold of the atrocity of what happened. And they cut off that village of persecutors from all aid no food, no nothing, they couldn't buy, trade, they, they ostracized him and, and said, you're there, left alone, fend for yourselves without any outside help. And the village that 
the 15 year old boy belonged to got word of it and the pastor said well they'll die like rats in a cage they, they'll never live they'll never make it it's not the will of God so they started to shuttle food and supplies into the village that killed the boy see that's on a different page than we think because we're thinking that's God's justice and he cut them off and they're getting their due and, and the pastor in that village the starts sending in supplies to the village. <laughs> John. Hello. Um, I listened to I was listening to a David Hogan message about two and a half months ago on a podcast and one thing he said it, it really impacted me. He said if you knew that they're going to rape your kids and your wife if you gave your life to the Lord, to Jesus Christ, would you still? And he said, that's a reality there. And when he said that, it was, it impacted me. Think um, about it. You know, I want that integrity. I want that, you know. See, I want that integrity, and that's why I'm crying it out to all of us, because we all, we all need that integrity, but it would be good to all want that, because that's where the power of God is found. That's, it's like, so there's a good comment. If you knew ahead of time, if these third world countries would know ahead of time, like, like even David, I remember him making a comment that if he just saw everything they've been through back in the beginning, ahead of time, he's not sure if he'd have been there. But now that he's walked it out, he's glad he is, and, and et cetera. But I understand what he's saying there because then you make a decision. A lot of times we have to admit and understand that we've heard the gospel in a way that we receive Christ to benefit our own sake instead of the cause of the kingdom no matter what the cost. That's why it says deny yourself, pick up. I mean, think of the intense language there. See, it becomes lingo to us. It's just Christianese if we're not careful. You just grew up hearing that and it just, but what's it saying? Come on, think of what it's saying. Deny yourself, pick up your cross. So Jesus, uh, you could go, do you have the mic? Yeah. Okay, you go to Hebrews uh, chapter one and then we're gonna let Rick share whatever here he's got. Okay. Hopefully we can answer if we can't. What's up? Oh, God cut off your question. No. <laughs> there you go. The question I have is, if Satan was kicked out of heaven, and I believe he was, and he's not before God, how can God hear these accusations that he brings before him about us, or is it a lie we believe that he still, as if he has, can affect God by accusations against us? I think it's more of a, a metaphor, whatever you want to call it, an analogy. It's, it's not necessary. I don't believe he's up there every day with a list of all our names and all these accusations. Here's what it is. It's you and I saying one thing, being tested in all those things, and then our life responding in certain ways. That's the accusation. In other words, his, him coming with those things, he's accusing day and night. In other words, he's coming against the people of God to prove that we're not what we say we are. You follow? 
So he's not just taking a list. It's not like a defense attorney in a court and a prosecuting attorney. You could teach out and it would be real cool. That's how it is in Christ. You could, you could, paint a, you could preach a real good sermon that way with a court set up. But when you read that accusing day and night, accusing day and night, that's just the adversity that's coming to your and my life and our response, whether pass or fail seemingly, if that's a good phrase to use. You know what I mean by that? Whether we fall apart or we stand strong. But, but what, what's happening is every time we don't stand strong, the accusation is, is there. Do you see what I'm saying? So isn't that really what trials and those kind of things are coming from? It's, it's the kingdom of darkness trying to press against the kingdom of God. Since the days of John the Baptist, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence. Right? But the violent man, what? Advance forcefully. That's what that means. Take it by force. Advance forcefully. So the kingdom of God, you don't look here, you don't look there. The kingdom is? Right. So if it's a war against the kingdom, that's why it feels like sometimes and seems like it's against you. But it's to stop the kingdom. And you can't get foggy on that. Or you could never do what John just said. If you knew ahead of time that your family, your kids, with this and this and this, would you become a Christian? Paint any terrible persecuting scenario, would you become a Christian? Most people, if they were honest, in this country especially, because we've heard a different gospel, guys. These people come into a gospel hearing the way it is in these third world, some of these, these countries are persecuted. They, they come in knowing that if I get born again, I might, I might die, but I'll never die, but I might die, but I'll never die. They know that coming in. We come in hearing all kinds of reasons why to come in. A lot of promises, a lot of rose garden blessings, glassy seas, come to Jesus, he'll fix your life and make it better. And that's kind of the way we've conveyed. So you and I, had to have this paradox we have to deal with and look in the word and say wait a minute God never brought us in the way I heard he preached God brought us in at the cost of our life remember Peter remember Peter he got a revelation that Jesus was the son of God he was the Christ and then three verses later he's getting rebuked because he has in mind the things of man and not God so he has a revelation that Jesus is the Christ. And three verses later, Jesus is saying, he didn't say Peter. He said, Satan, get behind me. Was, was Peter possessed? He was going with the wisdom of the world. And he was sentimentally protecting Jesus because he didn't want to lose him because he was so awesome and he was so awesome that he couldn't see nothing like that happen to him because you're the most amazing thing that ever happened in my life and nobody doing this to you and it was flesh it was man Jesus rebuked it as from the devil we sentimentally do that stuff all the time and think it's just a form of honor or something and we say, yeah, but it's because I love you. That's what we want, but I love you. <laughs> you know what Peter was saying that day? He was saying, I love you for me. He was saying, I can't see life without you now that you've come. 
Life won't be the same. This can't happen to you. No, you're finally here. You're a dream come true and ain't nobody taking you from me. That's exposed in the language because he said you have in things in mind the man, not God. If you were thinking like God, you'd understand what I'm saying and what I'm doing and you'd say, you'd cheer me on. If the disciples or the apostles understood and knew like we know now and some of us wouldn't even be doing this, we'd still just cry for him because he's dying. But, but would this be an amazing picture? The apostles at the cross going, you're amazing. I never have been loved like this before. You're amazing. I'll follow you. I'm taking on your cross. I'm going to follow you. You're amazing. Thank you for what you've done for me. You've given me life. You're my hero. I'm following you. This is being marked in my heart. I will give myself like you. Instead, they're in a room hiding for fear of the Jews, crying for themselves and sad that he's dead. You see how confused our vision is and our view is? When what's really happening is their redemption, their salvation, but the call to follow Him. You get it? Give the mic up here. Oh, you got it? Thanks. Man, you're on the phone. How'd you do that? Did you just translate? What'd you do, man? I didn't even see you. I was, must have been pumped up over there. First Timothy 1 7 is talking about we're not made of a spirit of fear but of power, love, and sound mind. And sound mind actually means, is a militant word, sound. It means to have a trained, disciplined mind. And Jesus was so set in that moment. It's like, man, set. Okay, we can grab that. We're there. We got to understand the cause. That's, that's it. That's, I, I agree. Let's go. What I, did I say Hebrews 1? Yeah. Let's go to Hebrews 12. Are you, guys, are you okay with this topic? I mean, are you getting something out of this? This is just really passionate in my heart, and I'm taking my time. I'm not preaching it out. Saturday night, I just preached it out like a madman. And, and I didn't really preach. It was, a little, it was a little more indifferent than this, actually. But the, there, was a, there was a principle. That would, but this morning, I couldn't get this. I woke up with this and can't get this out of my heart. And I thought, well, we just need to go here. Because, man, if I can understand this, if I can understand what it means to pick up my cross and follow Him and go through every injustice and every unfairness and especially the stuff when you have scriptural promises for your life and yet it's not your physical reality, you better have faith. That's where faith is needed just to stand and not look with your eyes and think with your mind. That's where faith just says, I know God's good, I'm in this for a cause, and I have no permission to be less than integral in who Christ is in me in the midst of all this. And, and you might be amazed how that might be the very component and key that releases the victory in some of these areas rather than the worrying, wandering, questioning. Because when you do all that, you're subverting faith in the process. How many times are we caught in this phrase? Trying to have faith. We're just trying to believe, brother. I'm just trying to have faith. What you're saying is you don't have faith. It's like faith is the, is, 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 the, is the substance of things hoped for, but it works through love. So, so we question love. How often do we question love? 
How often do circumstances come to the Christian and we say, well, if God loves me, then how come? It's like that 15-year-old boy. Remember the example? That was an extreme example. Well, if God loves us, how can he let that happen to that boy? Watch it. Well, if God loved me, where is my job? Why did my spouse leave? Why did I lose my child in the accident? If God's so loving, why is everything falling apart? That's what we say, right? And it's rationally substantiated through human wisdom. But it reveals that we have an idea and a perspective that this gospel is to serve us. Are you all, are you all okay? Yeah. Come on, think about the places our minds have gone. You know? It's bad enough my car isn't running right. I mean, I've been just praying and praying, and, and that old car, I thought it would last, and, but it broke down, and now they're telling me I might be getting laid off, and I'm not even sure if my marriage is going to make it. Where are you, God? I thought you loved me. You know what you're doing? Setting yourself up for just another blow. What's the proper response? Father, it seems like there's chaos all around me. This car, thank God you're bigger than this car. You've loved me, you've always loved me, there's provision. Somehow you'll make a way, I don't even see a way out of this. That's why you're God, that's why you're the way maker. And I just appreciate your love for me. I, I appreciate that you told me a long time ago to lay down my life and you're gonna reveal your glory through all this and you're gonna shine Christ through my life because that's why I'm on the earth. And I thank you, God. I'll admit that this thing is trying to pull me and tug me at times, but I've got my eyes on you and who I am in you. All of a sudden, you're just, there's faith. You get what I'm saying? And, and you're releasing faith over areas in your life, but it's not because you're falling apart, and if God doesn't move, you're going to die or give up on Him. Or You follow me? Because this mentality is so accepted that it stumbled many, many of good people See, because we're not evil. Who knows we're not evil people? Who knows we're not just waking up? I know you could say, well, the heart is evil. No, no, this is what I'm saying. You're not waking up today with evil intention, and you're not thinking wicked things and trying to pull off the work of darkness. But yet we can have a wrong perspective and just... And yet our hearts want to do right, but we don't understand. You follow me? Because for us to be able to say, you know, this is wrong and this is wrong, where is God? I thought He loved me. Means we've preached a gospel that empowers that mentality instead of disconnects it, severs it, and crucifies it. That mentality should be totally stripped out of our lives. The ability to think that way should be totally stripped out of our lives when we come into the gospel if we understand clear. Do you follow me? Okay. Go ahead. Has there, has anybody ever seen a war that didn't have casualties? Yeah, it's 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 an aspect of war. I remember David was here and he was talking about the slaughter. He says, and that's what we are, isn't it? Sheep to the slaughter all day long. Sheep. That's what it looks like to the world. No, it's it's true. Do you have more comment? And in the natural, I've heard and seen so many people when they lost a child, they just flip out at the government, they do all this stuff, and the same thing happens in the church. 
They're like, God, why, why, why? Right. Well, you hear me? It's, the, it's true. They don't see what... We, we have to get a grip and understand a bigger picture, guys. Look, as painful as it would be to lose a child, I can't even imagine I've not lost a child. So some people think you, don't have, you can't speak into that because you've never lost a child. And the only person they would listen to is the one that maybe lost a child. But unfortunately, if you listen to only one that lost a child, they might feel just like you feel. So I don't have to have lost a child to be able to at least convey truth in the matter because a Christian has a bigger view. Losing a child has to be, huh. I ask the Lord because I pastor, I do funerals, I'm in those situations. I go to the 10 year old boy that got run over by the car and there's hundreds of people out in the cemetery at the graveside. I'm the one standing there, I have to speak. So I've been in some situations that you might not want to be in. And the mother screaming, oh my God, oh my God, he's in the box. Oh my God, he's in that box. Oh my God, and she's falling apart. And now there's wailing all across the grass. Hundreds of people, a 10-year-old boy. All his schoolmates crying profusely. And I'm the one that has to speak. He better not be <laughs> weak spined or mealy mouth at that moment. <laughs> you better understand a bigger picture or you'll just cry with them. And I stood up front there and I remember this very situation and I started yelling and I don't know if anybody was there that remembers this. Maybe somebody would have been. I remember yelling out loud, Stop it everyone, listen to me. And I started banging on the top of the casket, yelling his name. He is not in this box. He is not in this box. Were you there? You were there. Do you remember me yelling that out? And I said, ah, and I preached it out. And then all these people prayed the prayer, sinner's prayer and all this stuff. And God just shifted the whole atmosphere. Yes. You. you understand? Yes. Because the view is very temporal, very natural. Yes. I've lost. The mother in that situation was in prison at the time. Can you imagine the guilt and condemnation that comes over somebody when you're in prison? And your son gets run over by a car and you're in prison because you're a drug addict? And then guilt and condemnation comes all over you? These things are real. It's so demonic. It's the whole world lies in the sway of the wicked one. Thank God Christ came to show us another way. You follow me? So you call the prison because there's worldly wisdom all around this. There's psychology all around this. You call the prison and you say, please, please. I don't know your protocol. I even knew the warden out there, the, uh, the, the chaplain, I'm sorry. And I said, please do not tell her what happened. Please let me come and tell her. I actually wanted to be the one to tell her because I knew how to handle it in my heart. And the prison wouldn't do it. They told her. And when I got there, she stripped naked in a rubber room. In a ball. Freaking out. And I cried. I said, why did you have to tell her? The way you told her. They just drop it on her. They actually brought her out to me. It was amazing. And she was just trembling and shaking. She saw me. She ran to me. And held me. And I wouldn't let her go and they're telling me I need to let her go because a man can't hold a woman like that in prison. And I'm not usually like this, but there's times where you just forget protocol. And I just said, 
I said, I am not letting her go. I'm holding her. Forget your protocol. But they're looking. They got you on the cameras. This front. They're going to throw you out of here. They're not throwing me out of here. I'm not letting her go. And I just didn't even look at him. I just held her and I just needed to hold her. And God left it all happen. But there's a bigger view. At the funeral, there's a bigger view. I asked the Lord, I said, why? Or how do you get past the sense of loss? It's so real. Physical loss is so real. How do you get past it? For one thing, you hear me preach this, we were never uh, called to uh, covet the gifts of God at the cost of who God is. Life's a blessing. Life's a privilege. You can see the fall of man when we receive the grace and gifts of life to bring forth a child and then trauma comes and we don't have any vision past today. We've been swallowed up in the natural then, huh? And all of a sudden the God that gave us the privilege of giving the child and then human wisdom says, well, yeah, but I'd, why even give me the gift of child if you're going to take it from me? And you don't understand that there's a bigger picture because of the blood. That it's not about loss, it's about gain. It's about eternal life. So I asked the Lord, what do I tell people at funerals? What do I tell families that are grieving? What do I tell people as a pastor all the time when I'm in the middle of crisis and loss and terrible situations, guys? And you know what the Lord said? It's an amazing phrase or word. It's all he said to me. He said, thankfulness. Now, isn't that the most opposite thing we think in that time? Thankfulness. Astounding. And then I started to picture little Billy killed in the car accident at age six. And you know mamas. Mamas are good. I mean, mamas, they keep track of his graduating class. They know on the day he'd be graduating, they're, they're crying. Mama's crying because Billy's not on the stand. They know that. They know when that day comes. They know. Mamas are amazing. When Billy should be graduating on the night of his graduation in his class, they know it's that night. You follow me? But all those holidays pass and his little chair's empty and Christmas goes by and it might be a family that puts your little stockings up there with the names on and how do you do that? How do you handle that? How, how does Thanksgiving roll by and Christmas and Easter, his birthday? Every time that stuff hits you in the face and it's real, guys, and there's physical loss there. Thankfulness. Father, I thank you the most I can lose in this life is the temporal time that I could have had with Billy, but because of the blood of Jesus, You've given me the right to bring an eternal soul into this earth and my boy is alive forever in you because of you. And I honor you for the blood and as much as my heart misses him and I so want to squeeze that boy. I thank you that you've held him through your blood and I'm going to run hard and fast and reach the finish line and we will all be together forever in you. So thanks for the strength to run this race, to keep my eyes focused and not be weary hearted or broken hearted because there is a bigger picture than missing Billy. You are Lord and I thank you for the gift of life.
You're all there at Thanksgiving on the first holiday after his death and everybody's afraid to talk because he's not there. And, and it's all the silent consolings and you're walking by mom and you just kind of do one of these, right? And, and everybody's afraid to even mention anything because they don't want everybody to just cry. But everybody's already very aware he's not there. And we do that stuff. It's real shallow. It's kind of like... <laughs> Better left alone. And all that's needed is somebody with understanding to pull everybody together or at family grace. Look at me, guys. Everybody, mama, look here. Come on. I know it's been felt uncomfortable here. and We've almost been afraid to talk about it. I know I even rubbed your shoulder when I came in because the truth is Billy's not here. And it, <gasps> like, why are you bringing that up? And you know, your wife's elbow. Yeah. <laughs> As if we don't know. Somebody just say, listen, as painful as this is, as much as we miss that little fella. Oh my goodness, I remember how he would just always sit. Now you're reminiscing and it's like a memorial service. Now people are really crying. But it's okay to remember those good things. And I remember how he would sit on my knee every, and he'd say this and that. And man, I miss that little fella. And all of a sudden now I'm crying. But you know what, guys? Let's not let our hearts get faint or weary or hard. Let's thank God Almighty. Somebody at the table would thank God. Well, if it wasn't for God, we'd have him here. You know how? And all of a sudden you put clarity to it. God's the one that gave us the gift of life. If it wasn't for God, we'd have never even known Billy. If it wasn't for God, he'd have never even been on the earth. Mom, you too would have never even been able to conceive if God wouldn't have said, be fruitful, multiply, and God didn't take your boy. He received your boy. I don't even know how that all works, but God didn't take your boy, but something took your boy called trauma, tragedy, accident, living in the earth, whatever. You can call it the devil, but God didn't take your boy. He received your boy. And I want to thank him at this table and thank him for the blood and thank him right now. And I want to encourage all your hearts and all of a sudden thankfulness saves the day. Make sense? That sure beats all that other stuff, doesn't it? Did you have the mic? I know we got break time. It's 20 of. We're going to go on break. We've got about two minutes till 20 of. We'll go on break here real soon. Yeah, David Hogan, he would lose men and then he would say, this is the day that the Lord has made. And he said, every day is the same. He said, a happy day is a sad day. Right. Whether it's triumph or tragedy, it's all the same because Jesus is Lord. Nothing's changed. So we have to live beyond the flesh, guys. Okay? We have to live behind the fle- beyond the flesh, I mean, and, and not think for the natural. We've got a lot more scriptures to cover, but is this helping somebody today? Is this good, sober stuff? I mean, it's, it's, don't let it be too militant. The gospel's... Ex- Come on, deny yourself and pick up your cross is already militant enough. I mean, if you really preach that, how much deeper does it get than that? Die so you can really truly live with depths and substance, depth and substance, and carry your own cross. So we look at Jesus on the cross who, for the joy set before him in the bigger picture, went through whatever necessary to accomplish. And we're going to look at that when we come off a break. So did you have a... You raised your hand. It just hit me. It's got to be important, man. Well, I was just going to... Is it on? Yeah. You're I just, on. I was just going to say uh, that the statement was asked, is there 
ever a war without casualties? The answer is yes. That is the, that is the message of Revelation. Right. Is that those that die are, are beside the throne. Right. And God has their heart and he has theirs. And he hears their cry. Amen. That is the message. Right. There are and that, well, that's the whole view of this war we're in. You can't lose. When Anthony said casualties, what he meant is yeah. natural things. I know, but that's our, our problem is we're so focused on that right. we don't see. Right. Because well, the whole transition is, and what we've been preaching the last half hour is that when that's like this thing with Billy. That's what you're saying. Yeah. This thing with Billy, it's beyond the flesh. It's beyond the natural laws. So is there really a war without casualties? Well, not in the natural, but yes, it couldn't be more put more clear. That's the whole reason for faith and rejoicing. Because see, without faith. See, we're trying to have faith for the healing. We're trying to have faith for the loved one to get saved. We're trying to have faith for the circumstance and the job and the... But you live by faith. It's the faith. What's that mean? That's keeping your perspective clear on who you are through Jesus and why in the face of everything that's counterproductive everything that says opposite you see what I mean so let's take a break and uh, when you hear the doorbell (laughs) come back (laughs) love you guys There you go. We ready to roll? Yeah. Man. Here you go. I'm glad we did the whole musical chair and bell thing, get us all back in here, you know. I told I told I was telling some people on the first day of a week of school, I said, Man, I think the snacks are way better than my preaching. We just can't get them back in the room. So So we had to force you back. <laughs> so amen. Okay. Uh I wanna read Hebrews. 12. So do you understand? I'm giving you some, I'm giving you some, I used Billy. Was that a good analogy of just how to apply thankfulness in a situation? Things like this, we were talking in the break, I was up here talking, but I said, you know, uh, there's ways that reveal if you're living for yourself, if you're getting a wrong view, it's, it's so seductive, it's crafty, it's the, Satan's sneaky, he's a snake in the grass, he's, it says not to be unaware of his devices, right? It says in Ephesians, remember we read Ephesians, I didn't keep reading, but it says the wiles are the schemes of the devil, schemes. So he tries to find vulnerability. Remember in 1 Peter 5, he roams around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. That means that he's looking for vulnerability, that everyone he sees he can't just devour. He's looking whom he can, who has a different perspective. Uh, Irene shared something awesome on the break. Sometimes we'll separate uh, uh, our faith and our reality. Faith should cover that reality is what she was sharing. It was very clear. You can't come on Sunday and, 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 and you know, have a certain sense of faith in God, yay, and then step, then step out of that and go live your Monday. What covers you Sunday covers your Monday. There has to be something bigger than how you feel and what you're going through. It's a, it's a higher perspective. So, so if you lose Billy, you have to have a faith to substantiate your life even in the midst of the real physical pain and loss of his empty chair. Do you, do you follow that? 
We use the example, uh, uh, so you wake up in the middle of the night and you feel like, uh, some of us just do this stuff. Say you just wake up in the middle of the night and you can't go back to sleep. And then you look at the clock and you roll around and you go, oh no, I got to get up at six and it's three and I'm awake now and oh my gosh, I'm going to be so tired. I shouldn't be awake again. Why am I always up at this? And then the next night it's worse. And then next thing you know, you're telling a friend, well, the devil keeps waking me up. Well, I can't sleep. Well, how can I do good today if I can't sleep at night? Because that's so rational to us. But who is that all about? This is all about you, and if you're going to make it that easy, I'm not being smart. If you're going to make it that easy, it's just going to be that easy. Because watch what selflessness does. There's thanksgiving, there's communion with God, you're in a war, you're in the kingdom, you're in... So especially if you think the devil's waking you up... Come on, but if you think the devil's waking you up, let's say he is and you believe he is and now you're just rolling and groaning and mumbling and oh, here he goes again and, and you're limited to, well, if God loves me, then why is the devil allowed to wake me up? Why doesn't God let me sleep? That's how we think. If you sit up in your bed and you're awake and you look at the clock and you think the devil's waking you up, why don't you turn the total table on him and reveal self and say, Father... Man, I'm awake right now. I would think I should be sleeping. I got to get up at six, but you're the Lord of my life and there's grace on me. Father, I'd like to pray right now. I'm, in fact, I'd tell people to go as far as this. Sit up and you actually in your heart believe it's insomnia. You actually believe it's disruption. But yet you sit up and you say, Father, thanks for waking me up. Yeah. <laughs> Watch this. Father, thanks for waking me up. Man, I just want to tell you I love you. And I worship you. And if there's anything right now in the middle of the night that you want me to pray about, if there's a family in need, I don't care if it's the four corners of the world, I'm yours. My life is yours. Is there any? He might drop something. You might intercede and pray. Pray in tongues a little. Pray. Next thing you know, you're sleeping. There's grace on you. Why? Because there's faith all around your scenario. All of a sudden, it's not, oh, six o'clock. No wonder I feel this way. That foul devil. God, why don't you protect me in my sleep? You see what I'm saying? Because when you do that, you're making for sure that it's all about you. And now you're just using your faith to sleep at night. And it's not even using your faith. You're taking principles because you're looking for better rest. and all that. Who knows it's important to sleep. But if you are getting woke up, you've got to turn it in a way where there's faith, where there's grace, where it's a God vision and a kingdom view. Or you're just a sitting duck, man. He's just going to poke you and prod you. So you wipe out. Who sees what I'm saying? This is the other thing I want to encourage you in. In that. Uh, I'm just going to say this. this I mean, you can sound insensitive. I, you, I think you guys know my heart by now. Hopefully. You know, you won't hear this wrong. Feeling sorry for yourself is the track that he usually tries to take. He tries to get it so bad that you just, you, all you can think of is for yourself. Remember Mordecai said to Esther, what did he say to Esther? He said, think not of yourself. Why? Because the whole nation of Israel was being jeopardized. It's a type and shadow of Christ. Everything points to Christ all through the Old Testament. Think 
Now, for three days, total fast, shut down, water, food, everything. Three days. On the third day, rise, three days. Wasn't no eating and drinking going on in those three days. You'd be amazed how much symbolism is there in that three-day period. Dying to yourself. In the place of dying to yourself. No food, no water. But I'm thirsty. Doesn't matter. It's before God for a bigger cause than how I feel. Think not of your self. Maybe you were born for such a time as this. <sighs> Do you hear the honor in that? Yes. Well, that sure beats every man for himself. All right, we're going out the back door. I hope you make it, dude. So hope to see you there, man. Come on, bud. <laughs> Is that my being real? And we got too many sentimental movies in our head and stuff. No, it's, it's here's Queen Esther going to make entrance into the king unrequested at probably the cost of her life. And she's doing it for the sake of the lives of everyone. One life for all. Sound familiar? And greater love hath no man than this, that he lay down his life. Do you get the concept? It's all through the Bible. Old Testament, Jesus' life, and new. Good deal? Because feeling sorry for yourself is honestly the biggest trap of your life. I'm serious. When you feel sorry for yourself, it's the biggest trap. It's so all about you. I was sharing up here in the break. I said, you know, I've, I've, I've found people, not that everyone that wears a long face, sometimes you go through stuff and you, and you show it. It doesn't mean you're feeling sorry for yourself, trying to draw attention. But there's people that wear how they feel to draw attention. They feel so sorry for themselves, that they, but they're drawing all the wrong kind of attention. And the best grace they can receive now, they're reduced to such a level that the best thing they can receive is that you sympathize. But it'll never change them. So they just, they'll come into a crowd and make sure everybody knows they're not doing well. Because four ladies surround them and say, oh honey, honey are you okay? Hey. And they have such a need. And they feel so sorry for it. And all of a sudden they're getting all this wrong kind of unhealthy, unprofitable attention. Because until that perspective's changed, you're not going to walk in life. And the best you can receive is just keep reaffirming. It's like a drug addiction that people care and notice you so you learn to live that way. I've known people like that since I've been saved. It's a very, very reduced place. And it doesn't mean the person's wicked and evil. God loves them. They're just misunderstanding. Does it make sense what I'm telling you? I'm just being straight. See, the Bible says that even when you fast, what? The Hebrew version. That's awesome. Is that the Brent translation? That's the new international Brent version. That's good. Get pretty. That was so good. No, I forgot what I was even going to say. That was so good. That doesn't ever happen to me, man. That was just good. That was like a Selah moment. So we're just going to Hebrews 12. 
Okay, Hebrews 11 is this whole patriarch of faith chapter. It's very fun, awesome, incredible, inspiring chapter, amen? So you might want to read that so that you can read verse 1 of 12 because it says, therefore. <laughs> but I'm just letting you know it's a good chapter and because we have all, <laughs> we have all these patriarchs of faith, we can run this race, right? So when it says, therefore, what it's saying is because we have these men to look at as examples. Now, I've heard it preached that they're in an arena cheering us on. It doesn't mean that. It, it means we have their lives to witness. We can look at their lives and see how they ran and pattern how they ran. And through faith and patience they've inherited, we can follow them. That's what it means. It doesn't mean they're in an arena cheering you on in life. It's not a, a crowd a surrounded by a cloud of witnesses. We're surrounded by testimony after testimony after testimony of people that love not their own lives. That's what it means. Okay? Because you just read it in context. That's exactly what it means. Well, look what it says. What more should I say in verse 32 of 11? For time would fail me to tell of all the ones that laid down their life. Gideon, Barak, Samson, all these people the whole way through. Through faith, subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions. See, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, no matter what they were faced with, wouldn't change their view of God. No matter what. Satan is so used to us changing our view when the heat gets hotter. It's one thing to have this much trouble, but now that we've prayed and believed God and took a stand and said who God is, now we have even more trouble. That's when you find what you really believe. That's where faith is found, when you have every reason to not believe in the natural. You've got Bartimaeus sitting by a roadside. He's blind. Jesus! He's asking, what's the commotion? Somebody must have said, Jesus is coming. He heard about Jesus. He had to. And he believed in his heart he was the Messiah. So he's blind. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus doesn't even look at him. It doesn't seem that way. Maybe he did, but he kept walking. He didn't stop. Well, there's enough, enough natural evidence right there to get you to believe it wasn't His will to heal you. Hey, I called and He didn't answer. The people grabbed a hold of that and said, Hey, why don't you hush up? You're making a scene. There's a lot of other folks around here. They tried to hush Him. Why? Because it appeared that Jesus didn't take interest, didn't hear, wasn't going to do so he had enough, enough natural evidence surrounding this to go quiet. But is that where faith, is faith found because you have a need and somebody told you he's Jesus and can heal you? Is that where faith's found? Faith's found in believing who he is and why. When you see who he is, faith works through love. Faith has nothing to do with you having a need and the book having a promise. Watch this. Bartimaeus is faced with every reason not to believe. And that's where you can really find true faith. 
Because no matter what the outward circumstance, no matter Jesus passing by, people telling me to hush. Uh, man, if, if he was going to heal you, he'd have healed you by now. In fact, if he wanted you to see, you wouldn't be blind in the first place. All that's out there, guys. And then you get to process all that in a natural mind and assess that in an intellect. And in Bartimaeus' heart, he's saying, what do you do? What do you mean, hush? He's the Christ. He's the Messiah. He's sent us. He's my Savior. Jesus! Amen. Son of David! And he yelled above all the chitter-chatter. He yelled above all the deception, the lies, the hind- all the reason to not believe. He shouts out above all that, Jesus! And Jesus, Arr! that man making all that fuss, bring him here. So where's faith found? Is faith found because he had an initial need and cried out? Or was faith found when he had every reason to give up and not believe? You got a woman with a daughter, a Syrophoenician lady. She's running to Jesus. Oh, you watch the Matthew videos, you'll just cry every time. It wrecks me. I can't. When they, when they go to that scene on the Matthew videos and they got her running down the road in her little flip-flop sandals and she's running behind the crowd and Jesus is walking, I just start crying immediately. I can't take it. I've watched it 50 times. And that's why I cry. Because on the 51st, he's the same Jesus. <laughs> and I know he's going to love her. <laughs> so when she comes running, it melts my heart. I'm like, here, here we go again. <laughs> she comes running. Lord, Lord, have mercy. Have mercy on my son. Have mercy. And the disciples are kind of like this. And Peter runs up. Tell her to go away from us. She keeps crying out after us. And he goes, she's walking, he's walking, and he looks at Peter, and he goes, and he just keeps walking. And she runs right in and wraps her arms around his legs, around his cloak. Said, Lord, have mercy on my daughter. And he's standing there like this. Oh, did you ever see it, Matthew videos? Oh, Man, it would be good just to bring it in and just put it right up there and watch that one little scene and toast you guys. Because <laughs> he's standing there like this and he says, uh, it's, it's not good to give the, 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 the little dogs the children's bread. And she says, yes, Lord. But even the little dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. And he goes, Woman, great is your faith. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my goodness. Come on, come on, get real with me. You press through the disciples, you make it to Jesus' robe, and he says it's not good to give you, you little dog, what belongs to the children. It's a cultural phrase. Outcast, cut off. You're probably feeling a little like a dog about now. And you're feeling like you can't get what he has for you. Or that it's not even for you. What he has for people, you don't, it's, you're not on the list. But you know what she was saying in her heart? Yes, I understand. And I understand you're first to the children of Israel. And I understand where a different seemingly nation but I believe you love all men and you're the savior of all men and you love my daughter 
and you love me. There's a phrase that when she says, yes, Lord, but even the little dogs eat the crumbs, I believe what you're doing for Israel is going to bless the whole earth that you're here once for all. And on the Matthew video, he smiles. He's there like, like he looking down and she looks up and he looks away. And he says, it's not good to give. And then she says that phrase and then he smiles and turns and looks right at her. Ah, it's the past. Where did he acknowledge her faith when she had every reason to let go of his cloak? Didn't she? But not in what she believed she didn't have a reason. See, we think that when we go through trouble, we ought to look like it. But those Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego boys, they had no smell of smoke and no burn of the fire. Were they in the fire? Did God keep them from getting thrown into the fire? No, but He kept them from the power of it, the stain, the mark, the effect. Why? Because they didn't change who they saw Him to be at the cost of their own life. Probably ought to flip there. And Daniel, it's amazing. They tell the king, what is your fire to us, O king? We don't even have a need to answer you in this matter. wonder if every Christian would embrace that. What is this trial I'm going through? What does that have to do with fulfilling Christ and carrying out the kingdom? I'm not taking this personal. What do you mean, burn me up? Well, if you burn me up, you burn me up. But he's the Lord, and he's always going to be the Lord, and it doesn't make you nobody. That's really what they said. And even if he doesn't save us from your fire, O king, know this, that he is God. Isn't that amazing? We wait for the outcome to bear our allegiance. <laughs> the outcome determines the, int- determines the intensity of our allegiance. Because if it's not going the right way for us, we got a million questions. What's the king do? He's enraged. They won't submit. What's the devil? He's enraged. You won't bow. So what's he do? Turn up the fire. Well, it's funny because the first fire is already going to kill him. But isn't it amazing that because it's seven times hotter, that's worse? It's just, but there's a, there's a strategy there. It, we could learn from this. The enemy's used to turning up the heat, so to speak, literally in this case, but any circumstance, goes from bad to worse. We know that phrase. Who's ever prayed for something, got real spiritual, got in your bedroom, marched around and proclaimed every promise in the Word of God, and you went, yeah, and turned and went out your door, and it just went worse as soon as you did that? Let me see your hands. Who has that experience in your life? That is not an accident. That is the devil going... Oh, really? Okay, hotshot Christian. I hear what you say, but I don't believe it's who you are. I believe it's just a confession. And I'll take those words right out. I'll hit you so hard in the stomach, those words will, you won't even be able to speak. And what he does is he comes and he's challenging because anybody, anybody can initially grab what the Bible says and speak it in hopes for help for any reason. 
But if it goes from bad to worse, then you find out what motivates you and what you're really made of. And then everything around you knows where the integrity of your life stands. Are, are you all good? Are you hearing? It's good. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Oh, I'm sorry. You're right. He's always right. Holy Ghost, you should have heard him. He said, what are you doing? That's just what he said to me. Because <laughs> I'm over here and I usually don't miss it like that. <laughs> he literally said, what are you doing? And I went, well, what am I doing? Just excited, Lord. I'm so excited to get to the punchline. <laughs> oh! Watch this. Look, time would fail, verse 32 of 11 to tell of all these people who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promise, stopped the mouths of lion, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword out of weakness, were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. There's a lot of victory here, right? But there's also, watch, women received their dead, raised to life again. Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance that they might obtain a better resurrection. Sometimes what seems like deliverance is wrapped around compromise and that's what I believe that's meaning there even in other words we'll stop beating you if you just stop living the way you're living we won't rape and do the things that we threaten if you just chill that's called accepting seemingly deliverance but that's not deliverance that's bondage to your enemy and I don't totally understand the depth of that because I haven't been faced with enough of that, but I've been faced with enough to know. Uh, the only thing I can rate to is several witchcraft experiences I talk about from time to time. And that it did a whole lot of good for me. I wouldn't trade those experiences in for nothing. How's that? I wouldn't trade that whole episode in for nothing. It taught me so much. It taught me that everything I'm preaching is true. <laughs> I'm going to get flaky on you in a minute. It gave me the great privilege to not love my own self and get sorry for myself. It gave me the great honor of living in integrity and holding the cross and the finished work high above the value of my own life. One night, and specifically, it gave me the great privilege of really believing and feeling like I was going to die and not being one bit afraid and telling Jesus, look, I'm not, I, I, I just, I'm making this statement. I am not prophesying death, but I'm saying if today would be the last breath I take, I will take it declaring, Jesus, you are Lord. And I actually had a smile in my heart and on my face, and I had so much pain in my body, there's no way I could describe it. It broke my daughter at the time, who was a young teenager. She cried and cried and cried, and I said, don't you cry for me, it's okay. I'm okay. She said, I'm not crying for you. She said, I, she said, she was bawling, she was undone. She said, you never change. I see what you're going through, and you never change. You're always the same. She says, well, she said, I don't understand. Because she knew if she was in my shoes, she'd have been a wreck. Because I looked at her, I was crawling up the steps like a slug, dragging up the steps, and, and it was so painful. And when I got halfway up, I turned and I smiled, and I said, Good night, honey. I'll see you tomorrow, okay? Bye-bye. 
And I crawled in the bedroom, and as I'm crawling in the bedroom, she went, and I thought she was hurting for me. She was convicted by my disposition. My wife came down the one morning, and there was a taunting demon spirit in my bathroom, and I was passing out, and didn't know what was going on, and it was taunting me for the night before and that morning and said, ah, maybe I'd, I'd, I'd have to tell the whole story, but I'm cutting in. He said, maybe I'll give you a stroke and said, he already told me he was going to take my leg and he was going to make me blind. And ah, maybe I'll give you a stroke instead. And I can't even tell you the symptoms that were on my body. And I turned and sat on the edge of the tub and I, I laughed. I chuckled out. I said, Father, I'm done talking to this thing. It is cursed, it has fallen, it has nothing to do with me. Uh, it has no right to taunt me. I'm not intimidated by it. I don't know what's going on, but I know you're Lord and my life is yours. And I began to make this confession. The next thing I know is I'm standing at the doorway. I don't even remember getting there with my head against the wall at the doorway of the bathroom. And my wife comes in and I'm standing there like that. She said I was withdrawn and white and I looked like I was dead. She said I looked like I was laying in a coffin. And I was totally out. She said, I was totally knocked out. Couldn't walk. My leg was rubber. It was dead. There had no life in it. And there I am standing. And she said, honey, I love these stories because I don't even remember it. She said, honey, are you okay? What's wrong? And she said, I smiled. And in a very soft voice said, oh, I'm fine. No, it's just the devil. He's such a liar. I'm totally okay. And she says, honey, come. And then I do remember trying to walk because I remember coming too. And she said, what's wrong with your leg? And I remember smiling saying, just another one of the lies. We're, we're going to be fine. Kimmy, it's okay. Well, let me get you to the couch. And I'm, she's trying to get me to the couch. And it was really tough. And I'm talking to her about the cross and Jesus and why it's okay and not to be afraid. And, and, and the power of God came over me. It's fascinating. She watched my face come alive and my cheeks fill. And she watched everything change before I. She literally went, I saw her looking at me and I was laughing. And I said, that's my God. That's the, that's the way I get. I, I've been in some of this stuff. So I was, ah. But isn't it amazing? My legs stayed completely dead. That's the stuff that drives this thing here absolutely bonkers. And I won't let it. I refuse to let it drive me. I don't have one question right now. I have too many answers. <laughs> because if I start letting this determine this, I'm backwards. This always determines this. Period. So it's just cool. Now if I, see, I wouldn't trade that in. That temporal bit of pain and that temporal and hearing that devil taunt me. The dividends I gained from that. The increase that I came out of with, through, with. I wouldn't trade that in for nothing. You say, oh, I don't devil do that for me. It's because we're afraid. It's because we're still thinking for ourselves. We don't understand what I'm saying. It's through the trials. Every time he touches us, he takes a risk of perfecting us. Every 
time he touches me, he takes a risk. I'm going to be a believer and come out with a greater revelation of God. Every time he touches me, he takes that risk. But you know why he touches me and touches you? Because he believes you won't. He believes you'll fold. He believes the real you will come out like you are. So then he's obliged to keep what? He's such a loser. Women received their dead raised. Others were tortured, uh, not accepting deliverance that they might obtain a better resurrection. Still others had trial of mockings and scourgings, yes, and of chains and imprisonment. Sounds like if these guys were spruced up and had a little more faith, they might have had a more convenient, better live life, huh? <laughs> We've gotten into that and the audacity of that over the years, haven't we? Well, brother, you need to get strong. You wouldn't be going through all this if you had some faith. No, it's their faith that took them through. We misunderstand faith. We have preached and almost thought faith is, uh, the evidence of faith is perfect circumstances. That's a deception. It's a lie from hell. Faith has nothing to do with perfect circumstances. Faith has to do with a perfect heart in the midst of trials. The pure in heart. He said, I'll be with you in time of trouble. He didn't say, I'll keep you from trouble. He says, in the world, you'll have tribulation. Tribulation in me, you'll have peace. Be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. Well, wait a minute. If you've overcome the world, why do I have tribulation? If I'm in the world, not of it, why do I have the same tribulation? If you've overcome the world, wait a minute. Why should I have peace? i still got trouble. What kind of statement is this, God? Help. Come on. Get me out of here. That's what, see, that's the way we think. Look, think what he said. In the world you have tribulation, but in me you have peace. So be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. What's he saying? You're in me, and you live for a whole different reason now. You think a whole different way now. You look for a whole different eye now. And trouble doesn't look the same, even though trouble's the same. So what's my victory? (laughs) The change of platform from which I live. I used to live for me. Now I live for His glory. I used to live for me. Now I live for your sake. You hear the freedom in that? You see how I get? Ah! You know why I get weird like this? Because on some level I believe what I'm telling you. (laughs) I've had privilege to live this thing. You get it? What are you pointing to, that guy over there? Yeah. It looks like you're pointing over there. That guy. He's anointed. Look at that. I keep looking over. I think that is a man of God right there. I don't know who he's talking to when he look. Who he's pointing way over that way. You can see the spirit of God on him. Look at his hair. He's been with Jesus. Okay, go ahead. I'm sorry. I'm done having fun. Did you? Have, do you have a comment? Question? Comment? What? Thanks, man, for jockeying that thing around and running. A few years ago, ago, I remember you talking about not having a bad day. You don't know what a bad day is. I remember where I was like, I got to figure out. I got to find out how to get there. And I did find out how to get there. Just doing it. And it was amazing because you can't get there to a place where you don't have a bad day. You really can't. 
Your circumstances could be ridiculous. All hell could be pressing against you, but you don't lose perspective. Was Jesus having a bad day on any day? Think about it. Circumstantially, but perspective and vision and accomplishment and whoa. And in the face of adversity, he accomplished even greater glory. And on the worst circumstantial day, the greatest thing ever happened. Are you following this? When it looked like it got as bad as it could possibly get, the greatest thing ever happened in the face of it. So the greater the pressure, the greater the triumph. Go ahead. You just got me excited with that. When I was, I was doing a courier service job running from bank to bank to bank, and I'd come in, and they, the, the people were just like, what is it with you? <laughs> <laughs> and we got, somehow we got to talk to them and said, you never have a bad day. I'd just like to have one day like that. <laughs> I said, well, you can have many days like that. Right. But it was, it was you know, it was like, it took a while. To get to that place. Because, because it's a yielding, surrendering, and you learn. You get, Like we're teaching here, you could still get trapped one day, just all of a sudden realize, oh my goodness, that is so selfish. Who's done that since they've been saved? And you realize your perspective is so inward. You're just thinking for you. And what a miserable period of time till you realize that, right? And you realize, ooh, but it's so refreshing to realize that's why it was so miserable. Ooh, I and mean, it's easier to cut that thing away and get realigned again. Back when I got saved... The Lord showed me this stuff. There was a real transition in my life and a real dying to self. And it was just it was just giving myself to people is what the Lord always compelled me to do. Just give my life to people. And that's what I would do from the time I was saved. Still find myself doing it. It's a joy. I think it's Jesus. Keeps you so free from you. Because you're just busy loving everybody around you. It's just you don't even have time to really think. No, just you don't. You don't have time to think about yourself. It's because it's a selfless life. It's the Christian life. And, but I remember people would run up to me when I first got saved and they'd first get to meet me or I go to churches. It still happens now when people have never heard me or see me and they realize that what I'm saying is for real and at least I believe what I'm saying. They realize I didn't put on a Christian jacket to impress them that day. They just start looking and they realize this guy's for real. I hear that every, you are for real. I'm thinking, I hope so. <laughs> but here's what they say. I can't wait till I get to where you're at. And I never understood that quite. And I'd be like, well, that kind of, that statement kind of like, what do you mean? Because that's a comparison. It just feels weird, that phrase. So I started asking people what they meant by that. I said, well, what do you mean by that? What do you mean you can't wait till I get, you get, well, to where you're walking so in God that you're just, it's like you're above life, like everything's in order and everything's just going great. You can just have so much joy. I just can't wait to get to the place where circumstantially I am so under that, like in that bubble where I just walk free from all the stuff of life. And what they were meaning was that God had put all my circumstantial ducks in a row because I have such great faith that nothing ever went wrong. That's what they were believing. And that that's the reason I was joyful because everything was right. So they're associating their emotional disposition with the circumstances of their life. Instead of their salvation and the good tidings. See, most of the time I'm so freaked out like I am is because I'm free from me. And I was such a detriment. I'm such a bummer. (laughs) 
Like, apart from Jesus, I am such a bummer. Like, I, there's nothing to be excited about with just me, okay? But once we got him out of the way, enter Jesus. Yay, that changes everything. Now I'm a pretty blessed fellow, and I get like this. You follow what I'm saying? Because before that, it was pretty bad. It was just me, and I don't want Jesus incorporated. Some of us have just brought him into our life. And we preach it almost that way. Let Jesus in your heart. How about give it to him? Let him reshape it and size it and everything. <laughs> Breathe on it and stuff. Stick it back in. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? No, we're not letting him have our heart. We're giving him our life. It's all good. I know we're running out of time. Can I just can I just roll here? Do you mind? Do you have something? Do you just feel like it's really pertinent? Yeah. Go ahead. It's all right. I'll give you the grace. I just... You c- this teaching right here comes on the heels of everything with David Hogan sharing all of his what he's been through, and 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 yet he he is astoundingly got the smile and nothing stopped him. Okay. And you weren't here Saturday night because you're giving this message. But Saturday night, it was, it was like a, a, a one, two, three punch. God let loose in this house. Pam wrote a song, Pam Stevens. And it's, I want to be like, my prayer is, I want to be like Jesus. And that was wrecking the house. Okay? A prophetic song came down through. I was the one that sang it over the congregation. And it was Jesus singing, you've already got everything you need. Stop asking me for more of you because it's in there. Now just I'm releasing you. Understand your identity now. Go in love. Don't be offended. Okay? And her song was, don't be offendable. I want to be like Jesus. I want to, I want to pray like Jesus. I want to live like Jesus. These are the words to the song, right? And then Todd White gets up here and he just, God just let loose through him. And he was saying, you're not a sinner. You're a saint. You've got everything you need. This is your identity. Bam, let's go. It was the same. One, two, three. And here you come with the same thing. Okay, we're in a war. Let's suck it up, kids. We're doing okay. I love you. Let's go do this thing. Amen. And for the right cause to accomplish his purpose. That's why we're Christians, right? So it's not about the shots to the jaw. It's, it's about what we're in this thing for. See what I mean? It's a big deal. Because honestly, I've learned that the shots to the jaw, if they're not rightly discerned, you invite a whole lot more shots to the jaw. <laughs> Serious. It's like an unprotected fighter. Uh, now watch this. Let's just, let's just read. Still others had trials and mockings and swords and yet chains and imprisonment. 37. They were stoned, were sawn in two, were tempted, were slain with the sword. See? He wrote all the victory there for a while. It looked like, you know, subduing kingdoms, quenching violence. Right? It's like, yeah, 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 yeah. But look here. It's all, like David said, it's all the same. It's all the same. Watch this. They were stoned. Doesn't sound like a happy day to your flesh. They were sawn in two. Doesn't sound like something you would order off the menu. We're tempted, we're slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, and tormented. It means by not being received in this life and understood and acknowledged for who, etc., etc. There was the, the no fitting in. Watch. Whom the world was not worthy. <sighs> you want that legacy. 
They wandered in deserts and mountains and dens and caves and all these things having obtained a good testimony through faith. Guess what caused them to go through those things? Faith didn't stop them from happening. Faith caused them to go through them unscathed. Meaning in their spirit and soul. Do you understand? Did you get that? Faith didn't stop these things from happening. Faith, faith didn't stop these things from happening. Faith took them through these things. Do you see it? It's in your Bible. God having provided something better for us that they should not be made perfect or complete apart from us. So here we are in a new covenant. Christ has died. If they had this vision in view back then and we have a gospel and a covenant with greater glory and a much more amazing new covenant, shouldn't it be all the more intense is is really the thought here. Uh, I want you to see also Moses in verse 24. Well, let's just look back. Let's back way up here a minute. Look at verse 13 in Hebrews 11. He's talking about all these patriarchs and he says, These all died in faith. Isn't that amazing? Well, I thought if you died, you couldn't have faith. You think if you had faith, you wouldn't die. Oh, I'm messing with people now, see. They died in faith. So even their faith cost them their life is what it means. They didn't compromise. They were in the world, but not of it. They didn't compromise. So their faith actually cost them their life. Do you follow? This is the message. Each one of these people of faith died, not yet having in hand what was promised, but still believing. How did they do it? They saw it way off in the distance, waved their greeting, and accepted the fact that they were transients in this world. That's the point I wanted to get at right there. Watch this. And this is what you and I have. This is what faith says. They all died in faith. We preach, we preach, if we, don't, if we have faith, we won't have to be in these situations. We ought to have stronger faith so you're not in these kind of dilemmas and stuff. And, and, and sometimes it's just the aspect of being in the world. That martyrdom, that 15-year-old boy, he died in faith. Faith put him in that position. Yay! That has nothing to do with God and God forgetting the boy and not covering and protecting. And There's great glory in that story. Because of the finished work and the truth of everlasting life. But on the outside, it it seems pretty gruesome. But if you really look at it from your... I promise you, I've I've thought about that many times. I thought, man, if we could bump into that 15-year-old boy, there's such a fire in his eyes and a gleam in his eyes. You couldn't talk him out of that decision. That's his legacy forever. I was 15. Could you imagine the Father in that day when we're all giving glory to Jesus forever and we wonder, what are we going to do forever and ever and ever? It might just be, you might be amazed. How, I don't know, it's just going to be awesome, but I get these kind of pictures like, like God the Father, we're all there, seas of saints and Jesus being exalted and glorified and it's worship and testimony service and, and I see God the Father slide his hands under that 15-year-old. Yeah. See, this is, this is Josiah. He lived in Indonesia, and when he was 15 years old, he was faced with persecution, and his persecutors had machetes and told him to renounce me and worship Allah. And he had the opportunity and the privilege to bow his knee to a false god 
or lose his life. But in his heart, he knew that I'm the giver and author of life, that in me, he would never die. And at age 15, he looked him in the eye and said, I don't know if there is an Allah. All I know is, and the place has gone nuts and worshiping Jesus and giving him glory for his blood because of a young boy that wouldn't bow. And over and over, and he lift up another one and another one. Ah, Jesus, and millenniums go by. <laughs> And Jesus is bigger than he's ever been before. Don't think you're going to be bored and there's going to be some same old tune. <laughs> you might sing that same song for a thousand years and not know it. <laughs> I've been playing the same CD in my truck nonstop for a month now. And every song, every time it goes on, it sounds like the first time I ever heard it. And I'm just... <sighs> Josh and I, Josh and, and Elise from Australia, they're heading home tomorrow. But uh, they, he's, he's has spent 20, about 20, 21 hours in the car with me traveling <laughs> since they've been here. And we've had that CD on the whole time. We were so freaked out coming home this weekend. We were so pumped. He, he got to like bang the steering wheel a little with me and get fired up like I get. We were just losing it. Every song. It's full of life. I said, how doesn't this get old? How can you preach the same redemption message and it be fresh? <laughs> we were having a fit the whole way home. And the more it played, the more we went off. And I just thought, isn't that something? You listen to a CD in the natural for a five and a half hour drive after the second rotation, you're thinking, man, could you pop something else in there? I heard that enough. Every time it's like the first time, because it's alive. It's the truth. Now watch this. These guys all died, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off and were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. What they're saying is this is not my calling, my life, my world. You see? Now watch. And truly, if they had called to mind that country from which they'd come out. Remember Lot's wife? Remember the Egyptian uh, people and holding the Israelites in bondage? They got released in the wilderness. And then they're, look, it'd be better for us. If we were just back, be better for us. They get tried in the wilderness. A little pressure to be better. If we just, man, at least we had leeks and onions back there. Here we got a bunch of dust and rocks. And No, it's not true. You have God. You have fire by day and, or night and a cloud by day. And you, you have food on the ground. You have water coming out. You have God. It doesn't matter where you are. He's there. Right? They lose sight of that. But look. And truly if they'd have called to mind the country which they had come out, they would have had opportunity to return. Let me just define this. You start thinking for yourself, you'll take a step back. You start feeling sorry for yourself, you'll take another step back. You lose sight of this thing you're in. War against the kingdom. Kingdom in you. It's not against you. The war's not against you. You'll take a step back, right? You follow me? But now they desire a better, that is a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Look down here, verse 23. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child. And they were not afraid of the king's command. 
Now, it's not talking about King Jesus, right? By faith, Moses, when he became of age. That's, that's amazing. That's a neat phrase. Once he knew, once he knew better. He refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Let's look at the language here. Choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. wonder if you just translate that selfless living versus selfish living. I bet it would fit right there, wouldn't it? Esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in all of Egypt. For he looked to what? The reward. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king. For he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, lest he who destroyed the firstborn would touch them. By faith they passed through the Red Sea, as by dry land, whereas the Egyptians attempting to do so were all drowned. Did you get a right perspective of faith here? takes you to the finish line, huh? It's not just to receive healing. It keeps you in right perspective to stay in the race for the right reason. When you say faith works by love, so verse 26, that's where I'm understanding faith, faith works by love. Is that correct? Absolutely. All of this is faith works by love because you see God's never lost sight of the true you and why he created you and who you have the privilege to be. Once we recognize that and get into agreement, it doesn't matter where we've been, what we've done, or how we've co-labored with the devil or even grew up with the Egyptians and helped their cause. Once you're ready to say, hey, and repent and want change, God, shoop, as if you've never, ever been a part of another team. Do you follow that? That's love. It never fails. His love for my love. His love for me. It's His love for you. It's His love for you. It never failed. So all of a sudden, watch this. All of a sudden you go, duh, what was I thinking? Duh, if I, see, if I saw this before, I wouldn't have been here in the last five years. I wouldn't have been in this mindset. Duh, oh. And all of a sudden you're saying, duh. And God says, oh, I'm so glad to see He's not saying, well, it's about time. I'm so glad you see. And he brings you in as if you never didn't see. And then he's faithful to you and fathers you and et cetera, et cetera. But he brings you in. That's so good. Who did, you didn't do that? Who did that? That's awesome. That's amazing. Thank you. I thought that had to be Brent. <laughs> the communion thing flew by me and hit the steps. <laughs> <laughs> Did you do that? You're amazing. Who would have ever thought? I said, who's strong enough to do this? In the end? <laughs> okay, I'm going to get it in my hand and at least be in faith, okay? <laughs> Hebrews 12, quick, read, read, quick. Therefore, we ask ourselves, we're saying... <laughs> Help! So great cloud of witnesses. Look, look. We have so many examples to follow. So many people that ran this thing. And now we have Jesus that came and put it in its total light and fulfillment. They just had a glimpse and ran. Now we see in full. Come on. We're surrounded by all these people. Let us, let us. Do you hear that term again? We used it earlier. Let who? It's a corporate thing. It's a whole thing. It should be all of our mentality. Let us lay aside every weight. 
All these things we covered today, they can be weights, wrong views, perspectives, all these things, feeling sorry, uh, wrong analogy, just waking up in the middle of the night, just thinking, oh man, I can't sleep, I'm never going to go off, I'm going to be so tired for work. You're, you're actually putting weights on with wrong perspectives, self-serving, self-centered stuff. You've got to wrap faith around all this stuff. Watch. And the sin which so easily ensnares or tangles us, let us run with what? Why endurance? Because there's trials and sometimes the hills are steep and sometimes you're jumping things. Endurance. Hebrews uh, uh, 10, it's right here. I mean, it's right here. You ought to, probably ought to read it. It's this close. <laughs> For you had compassion, verse 34, on me and my change and joyfully accepted the plundering of your own goods and didn't throw an attitude and fit and say, well, why don't you love me and protect me, God? Knowing that you have a better and enduring percent. Why didn't they throw a fit and backslide and get frustrated when they were plundered of their goods? Because they know they have a better and enduring possession for them. Therefore, because this is true, don't cast away your own confidence. It has a great reward for you. Have need of endurance. Why? Because you're going to go through stuff and unfair things and people won't understand. And even the devil is just going to press you through people and stuff and whatever. And if you get this thing mixed up and muddy, you get it? Oh, this is so good. You have need of endurance. Why? So that after you've done... Now this is what it's all about, isn't it? Is it just about a good life or is it the will of God? Come on. Is it just about a good life and protected and circumstantially sweet? Or is it the will of God? wonder if that 15-year-old boy was the will of God. Oh, see? wonder if that's the will of God. Whoa. wonder if the little boy's brother wasn't the will of God but this worked something glorious and then all of a sudden this little boy got saved and everybody else did but guess who got saved see that's what you can't miss this is amazing after the will of God is done isn't that what it's all about you may receive what the promise oh I got six minutes I'm going to pull this off go to first Timothy go to second Timothy you better run you better hurry second Timothy it's somewhere in the New Testament. Hurry, quick. <laughs> I'm there. I'm waiting on y'all. I went there quick. It's on camera. I was there quick. It's on camera. You, therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things you have heard from me and among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men. Man, that means live lives. Don't preach sermons, live lives and impart that to others that are faithful so they can follow. It's more than preaching sermons, it's living lives. Commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. You therefore must, is it an option? Must. You must endure hardship. Why? You're a good soldier in Christ. Remember we used the analogy of the army and if Anthony was in the army in the, in the, in the, in the trench, in the, right? He's not fighting for himself. He's fighting for his nation. So you must what? 
You must endure hardship. So is there hardship guaranteed? Wow. There's things coming. There's things that try to shake and rattle and roll you. You endure hardship as a good soldier. Now watch. No one. This is the whole principle of today. This is what we need to catch in closing. We're going to take communion. No one engaged in... What's the warfare? Is it against you? It's against the kingdom. Where's the kingdom? In you. So sometimes it feels like you. And then people say, well, it's just the devil. He's just trying to stop your gift. He's just trying to stop your calling. Well, it's just the devil because you just got a good word spoken over you. Now the devil's just trying to steal the word. And we make it actually tell each other that it's a personal attack. Well, the devil just knows the calling you have on your life. And we think we're encouraging, but we make it a personal attack. He's just trying to stop the kingdom. He's not attacking me anymore just because I went to church. Come on, he attacks people just because they're people that have the privilege of fulfilling the kingdom. But we make it a personal issue sometimes in the way we convey it and believe. No, come on, no one, no one. Wow, so I guess this reveals if we really understand or engaged in war or not or if we're, have some other perspective. This is really getting me right now, it's sober. I'm just seeing this now as I'm preaching it. No one, say no one with me. No one one engaged in war will entangle themselves ever again with the affairs of life. So I guess if we're entangled in the affairs of life, we don't have a clear view that we're engaged in war. And that's why we taught this all day today. Do you follow me? It's 2 Timothy uh, chapter 2. Yeah, 2, 3, 4. Watch this. No one, see, no one engaged in war entangles himself so if your perspective if you wake up understanding what you're in and what you've become a part of and you take honor in what you've become a part of it's like basic training you're going through basic training and I can't even imagine you're throwing up your body's being pushed past the limit you fear you can't go another step and then you go two more and it's sweat not again and here we go and after a while you begin to develop and mature and get in shape and condition and next thing you know you start putting on this uniform and you start realizing this is bigger than what you're going through and all of a sudden you take proud pride and a healthy pride in the uniform you're wearing and that you're representing something and all the work isn't for nothing and all of a sudden it's way bigger than how you feel you in the military can relate to that true because there was a bunch of you no one entangles himself again if he's in warfare with the affairs of this life why that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier don't be Don't be deceived by those phrases and think that God's displeased in that sense. Don't flip it. Pleased means that he can fulfill your legacy, your your destiny in you, that grace can fill the reason he brought you forth. It says if you draw back in Hebrews 10, it's pretty close. You could find it. It's real quick there. You draw back, he says, his soul has no pleasure in you. But we're not those that draw back. We go forward to believing to the saving soul. What's that mean? As you draw back, it doesn't mean God goes, oh. No, he can't fulfill the reason you are. You get it? Why don't you take your communion? Let's do this. Oh, look at that. I'm not going to take this long. I'm going to take this in a heart. And trust the grace will come on it, okay?
I'm just going to do it actually kind of quick, not because of time. You know me, I don't have the time, I'm moved by that. <laughs> time, <laughs> time, what is time? Time, we've got time. <laughs> Isn't that a paradox? We have total time for him and we have no time to not have for him. It's like we have no time to not be in him. We have total time to be in him. <laughs> so good. Flip around. Lord Jesus, your body, I, I taught this all day today with passion. Your body was given. You set the amazing example. You're the forerunner. You're the firstborn among many. You carried your cross. And you ask us to carry ours. You denied yourself. You said, follow me. This is not a prayer to get into heaven. This is not a prayer to get blessings. Lord, put the message today in our heart. Let grace consume us. Let our minds be constantly reminded in our hearts and our souls brought into agreement with this truth today. But we hold this body and we honor what you've done. Like the picture of the disciples around the cross, if we really understood in us being around, they're not crying because you're dying. Crying because we're made alive to follow you in the honor of it all and cheering you on and thanking you for the love that seems so unspeakable and immeasurable. We take this body today as a sign of covenant and communion and in return, the best we understand, all that is ours is yours as well. Holy Spirit, we ask you to teach us and guide us in the truth of this, keeping our perspective clear, and our fight is not flesh and blood. We thank you for a grace abound as we take this. We say we're in. It's not what you can do for us. It's how you can make us more like you. I receive in Jesus' name the giving of all that you are and all that is in me I give to you. Holy Spirit, take that by grace and fulfill the will of God in me. In Jesus' name. If this gospel would happen to cost me my blood, it does anyway, in a sense. Right? But even literally. Let me see it both ways. It does anyway. Man, I said if it cost me blood, I realize it does anyway. It's cost me my body. So be it in Jesus' name. And teach me to understand the depth of what we're saying, Lord. And let grace come upon the receiving of this cup. We don't just take this today for our well-being and our healing and our redemption. We take this for the sealing of our perspective. And we ask grace to come on our perspective and lock us into truth. That we might run a good race and wage a good war. And stay focused in Jesus' name. Thank you. And the way you ran, let us run. In Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Yeah, that's a good day. Yeah, I did almost feel like shouting and clapping. Y'all good? I just feel done. That was our prayer. That was our closing prayer. You get it? So we'll see you tomorrow. Bless you. Online students, bless you. You know, I never said this, but the online students, you know, you guys can take communion with us every time and if you don't have them handy when we do it man just enter in you can always remember him 
and just receive. Amen? So bless you. We love you online students. Thanks for being there. Okay, guys. See you tomorrow.